Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 323. That many? Turning things on. We're up to yeah, that many. Turning things on, just so you know. And we have a panel full today. Let's see who we got with us. Top left corner. Oh, I need to flip this little switch over here so that everyone's on the same page. All right, top left, we got Mark Overhoser. Me again? Thanks. Yeah. Glad to be here. And second over, Sloopy Malibu. Greetings and sanitations. Okay. And salutations. And next up, Rick Uland. Also moderately pleased to be here. Hi, folks. Moderate. Moderately. <laughs> All right. Uh, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And next up, yours truly. I had to throw the cat out. Getting too frisky today. Too much <laughs> blood drawn. Uh, let's see. Sitting in the observatory, Ron Delvo. That's right. From the Delvo Observatory in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Or it's a dry heat. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Right. Well, don't they put observatories like on the top of mountains and stuff? Just where it's clear. Well, we're at twelve hundred and sixty feet above sea level. Oh, okay. And it's dry. That's why I got to keep looking up for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Next over, Grant Levy. Hello, everybody. I have no clue what I'm doing here today. So well, just, just like, like every other time you're here. <laughs> <laughs> no objection. Objection here. Thanks, right. guys. Uh, Thanks. I feel the love. Up, <laughs> next up is Alan. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Glad Good you're to here. See your face. <laughs> There's differences of opinion on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a beard, you just like the rest of us. Let's see. Next up, Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ken Waters. Howdy, everybody. Okay, and Kevin. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kevin. I did, and uh, let's see, Nick Morentes. Hello, everyone. I'm mo moderately awake today. <laughs> and tomorrow. All right. And More tomorrow? coffee and Vegemite. Or tomorrow. Right, tomorrow. <laughs> what, Simon? All right, next up, also on another continent, Simon. All right, guys. Mr. Jonathan, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I didn't disappear off the face of the earth. No, that's good. No, you just slid off the bottom, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> good to see you. you Congratulations on your anniversary, too. Yes, thank you. 
Thank you. Yep, All right. Happy. And last but not least, David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Oh. Okay, that's the panel. Let's see. Had, David uh, Ladd has his power shirt on. That's right. I think I've seen that at Coco Fest. Indeed. That way we can find them to avoid them. All right. So let's see. First on the agenda, we have project updates. Let's see. Uh, Brian, you ready or you want to go first, Alan? I don't know. Go ahead, Brian. Okay. All right. Brian, let's see what you got. Okay. Hello, just a couple of things here then today. Uh, I'll go ahead and switch cameras here. A few weeks ago, I uh, I shared this that I had purchased from a guy. There we go. Multi-pack. MPI. Multi, yep, multi-pack board here that I had that. And uh, uh, the other day here, maybe about a week or so ago, I received a box in the mail. And... In that box was a box. <laughs> Let me back up here just a little bit. It's a scribbled box. It has some stuff on there and has various writing on there. And uh, inside this box was uh, a multi-pack. Another box. Another box. So the middle, the middle version of it, too. <laughs> the middle version of the yeah. box. Well, middle version but, of the uh, multi-pack, too. But what this is is the uh, this would be the shell of it. So Just a shell. Yep. that was wow. uh, a nice, generous offering there from Mr. Rick Eulen sent this to me here. So oh, nice. Now, so now I the board he here has a, has home. a home. So yeah, and, I think he did a bunch of repacks. That's why he had spare shells and not. I think that was yep. Yep. And I do have the uh, I do have the power supply. It's just uh, not here with me right now though. But I have the uh, the AC adapter for it. So, and I believe I have a lone switch that was from a uh, I can't remember how I came across it though but I think I might have the the uh, little switch that, that hangs out the front here so you can kind of switch back and forth a little bit so so yes thank you Rick I really appreciate that so certainly welcome thank you Rick another multi-pack lives in the world there we go <laughs> now do you, do you have a white case cocoa to go with it I'm sure you do <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I do have a white case oh, cocoa. Yeah. that might happen more, more than one <laughs> So yeah, so that was very uh, very nice to, to receive that there, but also in the box too because that I think the same day I shared the the, uh, the multi pack board, I also shared a uh, uh, a deluxe joystick and it had a um, a bad uh, the little switch on the back that you use to uh, to switch and in the box there Rick also included the little lock piece that. Uh, uh, that's oh, on the bottom oh. there. Now, is that an actual one or is that a 3D printed one, Rick? I was going to uh, that's, that's an actual one from the single fire button joystick, so it avoids all of the different kinds of ones that were made. Okay. There, there were a couple of slightly different ones, so that should be the right one for the stick that you showed. For that one. Okay. Very good. Yep. I'll uh, add that to my project list of things to work on. So, yeah. Brian, did you get, did you get a little uh, note in there that said, uh, you owe me? 
and I owe you. <laughs> no, but I but I may return the favor. So yeah, that's that's good enough. I mean, I've got a metric crap ton of spare parts. It comes in handy for all of us. So. Um, did, let's hear. Tandy, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Oh, did Tandy make uh, the large white case? Many of of the white case large cocoa cases at all back in the day because I thought it's a bit strange why um, Tandy would go and start making those white multi-packs of the old style. Well, those were Cocoa 2. Yeah, that was for the early Cocoa 2s or the 64K Cocoa was supposed to match. And then they came out with the shrunk down Tandy one a little bit later, about 85 or 6 or something, I think. But fortunately, they kept oh. selling the multi-pack, so they never upgraded it, you know, right away, but they kept selling it, so there are a lot more than you would think given the number of white cocoa ones. All right. right. Okay. Uh, next, I saw this pop up and um, I, I had to grab it because I, I had a reason for wanting to. If that doesn't kind of give it away there a little bit. <laughs> so this would be the one that, uh, that retro rewind is producing. So this one was actually online um, that a person was, uh, was reselling. What colors the board? What colors the board? Uh, mm -hmm. It's blue on the inside. It's a blue Ooh. PCB. So, okay. But I wanted to get a black one though because I wanted to move this sticker to the bottom, so I still know who who made it though. And I'm going to make myself a dragon logo sticker that I wanted to put here because I wanted to get a black one to use just for the dragon. So I'm going to set this one up just for the for use with the dragon with the black. I thought it would look nice with that, with their case and everything. So yeah. So I received that. Um, let's see here. What was the next thing I was going to share with you guys here? A hand. Um, <laughs> a hand. Yes. So uh, this gentleman that I bought a number of things from there, he had, um, he just had some random stuff. I mean, I've, I've got a, a case, a Cocoa one case from him. I got a Cocoa one board from him. I got that multi-pack board from him and on the last and also some bunch of transformers for like, uh, uh, floppy drives. Um, that were like, I think maybe the FD, it might be the 500. Um, he doesn't have the case or anything like that. He was kind of dismantling some stuff. And he said he had a bunch of random chips and he thought maybe I might, uh, might get some use for them. So he just threw those in the box. And so I was going to share some of these with you guys to see if maybe some of you might know if there's any cocoa value with some of these chips here. Let me see if I can do this. I had them all organized. And then of course I bumped the box and. <laughs> I made a, a big mess here. So um, I know this one's, so here's the, let me see if I can zoom in here enough here. Let me get this here. There we go. Let's see how we're doing here. Oop, find my spot here. Is that enough there? Uh, now it's coming in blurry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's an awful lot of pins on it. Is that the MSX? It's a 68,000 again. That's yep. a model of 68,000, yeah. Eight yeah. megahertz, I think. Yep. Yeah, it's, I, it's a big chip. This is like, I don't know how many That's actually Thompson. Yeah, 60, I believe. It's a Thompson semiconductor. So okay. And so I know I know this may not be cocoa related, but I mean, it's a 68,000. So I thought it was kind of, and he had two of those in the box there. So I don't know what these might have been used for. This mm -hmm. is a, That was a Motorola one there. So like a Delmar 4 had those, or a... a yeah, Delmar System 4, System 5, yeah. Yeah, was that the PT that had this chip massively featured during the time of the Cocoa? 
And micro oh. RGS had a six to eight thousand and eight board, the eight bit version of six to eight thousand they sold back in eighty four, I think. When did these come out? Those. Did the TI have the sixty eight thousand? No, this is all Motorola's no, thing. It's on Motorola. Yeah, I had Motorola, the TMS. The TI-994A computer. No, that was the yeah. TMS. What was 990. Yeah, uh, 9900. Yeah, it was like their own chip. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. These, these chips came out about the same time as the 6809, is that correct? Mm. Uh, yep, pretty, yes. pretty yeah. close. Yeah. 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 It's not in time after. to be the IBM PC's main chip. They missed yeah. it that mm. much, which is why. This is the chip that was using the Amiga, the Atari ST, and the Mac. Okay. As well as some game uh, consoles, arcade games, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a whole slug of these in here. These, uh, is it Mosley? That's how it's pronounced. Marcel? Marcel. Marcel? Can't read the numbers under it. It's it's an MS62614, is it? Looks to 62641. It's a defibrillator. Some sort of a memory device. <laughs> I have yeah, no idea. Can you tell? Be my guess. <laughs> okay. Um, also in the pile was a lot of these. This NEC D forty three sixty four. Static RAM, I would think. Yeah, fifteen now would eight K by eight. Eight K fifteen nanosecond. Okay. 8K static RAM, 150 nanosecond. It's a guidance chip for a torpedo. <laughs> Frederick Provence said, didn't the TC9 have capability to add a 6800? And uh, yeah. J.E. Jones said, smoke signal broadcasting made an SS50C board with the 6808 on it. That would make a lot of sense. That is definitely... And then uh, this is a a problem here. This one here is a um, oh, what's the, where's the number at here? Looks I'm looking like, for uh, here. It's a 27C128 AMD. AMD symbol. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if this is one that could be used to uh, burn some EEPROMs for uh, for Coco. So that would be a uh, 8K. Uh, is the 2017 128? Yeah. yeah, the 128 could okay. be used in the Coco. Yeah. Okay. That's appropriate adapters. That's a 16K K byte uh, prompt. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 16, right. Because 512 is 64. So, yeah. And yes. Does, does it have a window behind the sticker? Yes, it, it should. Does. Yes, it would. Yep. And we yet. Use, uh, we use 27C6512s all the time at work. So. Okay. And I erase them regularly <laughs> and reprogram them regularly. And then there was uh, was this guy here, which we may recognize, an mm. EF68B, 6809P. Micro. So, oh, but the, the Coco uses the E, doesn't it? Not the P. External clock. Right, yeah. yeah. So that's a two megahertz rated yeah. part, but yeah. Yes. I didn't realize that STMicro was a licensed uh, manufacturer of them. When they say external clock and, and these show up, does that mean the clock's inside? Correct. Yeah, it generates its own clocks like the Sam would. Yeah, it has a crystal basically inside. Oh, interesting. And then uh, I think the last one that I have that's not a duplicate of everything else that's in here would be this uh, uh, 6802. MC 6802. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know. 
That's that's a sixty-eight hundred with some extra I/O built in, isn't it? I think yeah, it has some, some RAM, RAM or two. Controller. I think it has like one hundred twenty-eight bytes of RAM or something in it, also. And some I/O ports. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's kind of like a sixty-eight hundred three, except not quite as you know large of a number. <laughs> it's related to what's <laughs> in the MC ten. <laughs> yeah, but it ended up doing like powering refrigerators and things like that. Right. Yeah, it's yes. really, really a true microcontroller. Okay. And then uh, I guess the last thing I just wanted to kind of share is, uh, where did it go? Here it is. So uh, was it last month? Uh, maybe it's been two months ago. We were talking about the, uh, the light guns. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Dave was working on his uh, reproduction of the, um, the DICOM interface for it. And he... Uh, he was looking at, I think he's working on an option there for the nine volts. So you don't have to necessarily use a battery. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Scrolling through some stuff and I came across this. So I went ahead and picked it up. It's basically a nine volt DC power block, but. Hmm. So That's exactly what I have with mine. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to use, use this and it came with this nice long, this is a 10 foot cord that came with it. So I thought, Oh, this might be a nice little option to, uh, if I want to use it without having to go find a nine volt battery every time. So. So I thought that was kind of a nice alter, and maybe that's what Dave's looking at. I can't remember what he what option he's looking at, but uh, he might be looking at something similar. It'll always be charged up. It would yeah. be. Yep. The only difference with mine, I, I have one of those universal ones, so it's got four different connectors. The nine volts just one of the four. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's got. You know, I think mine's also got adjustable anywhere from three to twelve volts. You'd have this little slide switch you can switch between, but that's what I use on my DICOM as well. Sure. Okay. Very cool. Well, that's all I have for you this week, guys. Just a few little Ooh. few little things there. So, thank I you. I found a data sheet for the uh, 6802. It says it has an on-chip clock, so it's like internal clock. It also has 128 by 8 bits of onboard RAM, and it also has 32 mm-hmm. bytes of RAM that are retainable. It has either uh, battery or something to power mm-hmm. it to sustain uh, power cycles. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. truly a microcontroller. I mean, it's got pretty much everything your modern microcontrollers have in it. Okay. Right. So that sad little chip never did much more than would fit in its onboard RAM. <laughs> and well, just it, kind of slaved away write, as a little. It's amazing when you write programs, uh, because I've worked with embedded systems like this for 20 years now, how much little, how little RAM you really need. I mean, for most things, right. you only need just a few bytes to do stuff. Right. Yeah. The ROM, the ROM, external ROM would be what would control it, like get that up and program. Yeah. And then the RAM is just your little scratch pad you need for whatever variables whatever you're bringing with. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's amazing how much you can do in that amount of space. So. And uh, uh, sorry, David, I didn't have anything floppy related this week for you. So my apologies. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. Um, Alan, you're up next. Thanks. All righty then. Uh, so I actually have three different updates this week. I'll try to make each one of them kind of short and simple. The first one was kind of an interesting little side road that I ran down um, earlier this week in the Discord basic channel. Uh, Erico Montero had pointed out um, some speed up code that was listed in TRS-80 Kalur Computer Space Adventures for 16K a book of six different type-in programs. And um, he was trying to, you know, go through how all that worked and what he was using that for, but he mentioned that it didn't seem to work. And um, William Assel, Lost Wizard, took a look and went, yeah, it's missing some stuff. 
And uh, so then we off we went figuring out what was missing. And um, I have tried to recreate the missing line and add it to my webpage about that particular book with the copy of all the type-in programs that I had done and updated what was on the archive with. So I posted, posted the link into the chat for the page itself. But the basic idea was that it had all of the configuration needed, but it never actually activated it. And um, if you look in the basic channel on the Cocoa Discord, there is a kind of a fun discussion. And it's one of the pinned messages that kind of goes through the whole process. But in the end, I took that discussion and uh, the idea of the fix. And Erico is now going to test it in, in his copies of the programs. But I went ahead and wrote up what all that little chunk of code was supposed to do and put that on the web page as well. So if you've ever kind of wondered how those little speed up things worked and what they were doing, there is an example of one that was from that book that was for each of the six programs and um, a starting discussion of what each of those little pieces of basic code, they're just pokes, um, what they're really doing and why and how that worked and what the thinking was. So hopefully, um, you know, people will find that interesting. And now the programs are hopefully fixed. And I'll take that and package that back up and send that up to Guillaume to update what is on the Cocoa Archive. Now, did those programs work at all before? Like, was this preventing them from working or is it just not work efficiently? Well, the speed up poke was basically, um, what it did was it took a chunk of the basic ROM, copied it into RAM, poked out and made no operations for the part that checked the basic the break key. And that was supposed to, of course, without the break key checking, was supposed to speed up how the basic program ran. But nothing ever actually put that patched version of RAM code into use. So it wasn't actually put into the vector to be called. And so the games would play, and you could type in these extra lines, and it would make no difference. They would not get any faster. So um, hopefully now they will. Uh, and, you know, and I tried to explain what they were for, for the folks who are, are working with those basic programs and playing with those basic games just in general. And along the way, I found out that the fact that um, Mr. Dave had sent me the book originally because he didn't want it. And I'm like, sure, I'll take it. I'll type them all in and, and get them all going. And um, one of the games on there, Moon Shuttle, in, is what kind of prompted Erico to go ahead and get going on his game called Below, which is the Lunar Lander game that he's been building since. So I didn't even know that until, you know, he, he mentioned it at the time. So it's been kind of a, a neat little circle all week, you know, going through this debugging some 40-year-old printed book code and updating it and, and finding out that, wow, this stupid webpage that I write, people actually have been looking at it, which is kind of scary on its own. So <laughs> yeah. that's the update with the uh, color computer space adventures. Um, and, and that's, those, those are kind of fun. There's one of them that I really like called protector that the ship looks like the little shuttlecraft from the movie alien, which is what caught my eye originally. And, and you posted the link to the space adventures uh, blog on, on your page there in the chat. So yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes. Did you recap your Coco three there? What does that have to do with anything? Because it looks like the juice is coming out and coming out of the top of your cocoa oh. there. 
Is that a face hugger? <laughs> it is a face hugger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, now I see what All that right. has to do with anything. Okay. The background. Nice. Uh, and that's what I was actually typing in all those programs on at the time. Ah. So, um, okay, if there's no other questions with that, then I'll go to my second update. Um, another side project, kind of basic related, uh, that I've been t- talking with a couple of people about on the Discord is I have been going through a book called Language of the Dragon, 6809 Assembly by Mike James. And uh, it's from 1983 or 1984. And uh, it turned out to be a very fascinating book for me because of the approach to assembly language. I've not seen it in any other books, uh, really anywhere. Um, There's one that kind of came close for the C64, but not anywhere remotely like this one. So what was so cool about this book is that chapter by chapter, it introduces a 6809 assembly language on the dragon as advertised on the cover by creating an assembler in basic on the dragon. So chapter one is some introductory stuff. Chapter two, you actually start laying in lines of basic code to outline the modules of an assembler. And by the end of chapter two, it's able to assemble like two or four instructions only. But the fundamentals are there. And so it introduces just those instructions and the code needed to actually assemble it into memory and explain how that stuff works. Um, Super, super cool. Uh, I've only seen one incremental build approach like this before, which is a very famous paper by Gloom from 2011 on writing compilers. Um, This is from much earlier, and you end up with an assembler program you end up with uh, a good chunk of 6809 assembly language introduced, explained. Um, you have the understanding of the internals of the assembler that is actually doing the translation. So you get to kind of understand assembly by being the computer translating it into machine code. Uh, so if you've ever had the interest in learning assembly language, um, and some of the books that exist out there haven't worked for you or kind of turned you off because they're a different approach on most of those. Give this one a shot. It's a different take. And I found it a heck of a lot of fun to go through. Um, I don't know if I would say I learned a lot of new stuff from it, but I do have a much deeper appreciation of what assemblers like LW Asm go through to do what they do. And I have a, a, a much clearer understanding, I think, of how the machine code lays in memory and is uh, picked up and processed by the microprocessor as it goes. Um, it's about 11 chapters of content. Um, there's the, Each of the chapters is different length. Along the way, there's a, a kind of a large example where you build a Pong-type squash game where you're bouncing a, a cursor around the screen and you have a paddle that you're moving back and forth that will reflect the ball back up and things like that. And you do all of that in assembly stage by stage, which is I thought was a pretty good example. And then there's another chapter that has um, sound processing code so that you can actually drive the DAC from assembly and, and start, you know, and it's not super fast code or super great code. Uh, and 
it's not super long code because the assembler is fairly limited running from basic and it's really slow because it's basic, but it's faster than I would have expected. And it's fast enough to do the job that it was intending to do. And of course I added the speed up poke to the beginning of it, which really helps. Um, The book is is that available in the archive. It is available on both archives, World of Dragon Archive and uh, the Color Computer Archive. And I think it was on the Internet Archive, too, but uh, I'd have to double check again because my memory may be faulty. Um, The examples in the code are for the dragon, but along the way, I did try modifying them to work on the cocoa, and they did without problem. Uh, The one big downside to the book is the typos. There are a bunch of them. So apparently the typesetter was not very familiar with assembly language. And there's some places where you have the LOX command instead of LOD or LDX and uh, you know just a, a bunch of stuff. But the entire assembler is printed at the back of the book. And by comparing to what that listing was, you can generally figure out what went wrong. But so... The point of bringing all this up as the project is that if you are interested and you start working through the book and you run into something goofy, let me know. Because eventually I'm going to take my notes and get them up on my website as well with what all the actual typos and fixes were. But until I do that, uh, I am still available. Just ask. Uh, if you re- if you get stumped and can't figure it out in a couple of minutes, let me know. I'll look back at my notes for that chapter and see if I could figure out what it was was going. And sometimes it would be just there was a, a left out line in the chapter listing that is in the final listing. So, uh, but overall, the book was really good. The explanations are really well done for it, but you have to read them carefully. I mean, you have to kind of go slow. Assembly language is not something you run through. You know, if you're if you're going to go through this, Take a look at it, but you, but be patient with yourself. Give, you know, give that line a good look before moving to the next one because he has some very nuanced verbiage in there that that really does matter, and it really it really turned out to be very good descriptions of and, and reasoning for what was going on there. So impressed with the book, amazed with the approach. Uh, had a great time going through it just for the heck of going through it. And now I've got a whole directory full of uh, an assembler written in basic for the 6809 that does almost the entire opcode set, uh, more than enough to be useful uh, if your program is short. So yeah, uh, that that's that project and that update. And um, you know, if book, anyone has any this, questions, is this a book that you found online and you don't have it physically in your hand to show us? I don't have it physically in my hands. It was only online, and I was just curious and ended up getting drawn in. You know, I was like, oh, language of the dragon. I haven't seen this one before. 16 on assembly. Oh, what does it got to say? Wow, hey, this is actually really cool. And I just kept going. <laughs> you know, I just kind of got dragged in and, and liked it. Um, is so there, um, go ahead. Uh, Alan, I know you and I have talked about this book uh, a number of different times, but is there... Does it start out with as if you know nothing? Is that kind yes. of where it, okay? Yes, it, it is. It assumes that you know a little bit about basic. If you've done anything like the getting started books, you have more than you need to get through this. Good. And it, it goes through and shows you small chunks of the basic code. 
and then explains the instructions that that basic code are going to be adding to the assembler, and then generally gives you some examples of how that assembler code works. So you understand both the basic assembler program itself and the assembly language and the example, kind of what they're all doing together. It's part of what I found was such a great approach for it. Do you think that this is good because it uh, kind of goes in line with your thinking, maybe? Yeah. Compared uh, well, to some of the it, other. I thought it worked well with the getting started books, the same approach. You know, this, the, those books basically, here is an instruction. Here's a little bit of basic to do that. Here's some little examples that you can work. And then maybe there's a sample program at the back of the book, you know, and then we're going to introduce the next part. So it was very incremental rather than something like, and as much as I love Leventhal's book on the 6809, you know, it's chapter three is basically throws the entire addressing system in the 68. Yeah, that's not a good beginner's book. I use it as a reference guide after I learned December. Exactly. <laughs> but if you start that chapter three, it just goes on and on and on forever. And there's diagrams that you have to just kind of puzzle through to understand, okay, and, and without the concrete examples, I mean, Leventhal explains why you would be using that particular kind of mode, but there's not like examples right there that says, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this, to kind of lead you through that why. But yeah, Leventhal's book is great. I love that too. And I do have that one physically. But uh, as as a coming from, I've got a cocoa and I've got getting started with Color Basic and I have finished getting started with Color Basic and I'm running into places where my basic games aren't fast enough, then this Language of the Dragon 6809 assembly book by Mike James could be that next bridge that gets you from basic into the early assembly language stuff where you're getting useful things out of it without being some sort of virtuoso. As, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. I, you know, I can make it make things like loops and whatever, and things happen. Yay. Things explode. Yay. You know, it does what it does, but I am by no means um, any kind of virtuoso with the design or, or programming of 68 or not. So this was, this to me could have been a great third getting started book. And if you'd have just put little illustrations with the computer guy in there, done. Of course, it would have had to been a dragon guy in, in yeah. that case, but. Uh, but the Cocoa conversions that I did were very simple to do. I mean, it's literally changing PIA addresses and changing key value numbers, and that was it. And then they work. So, um, and, and I'm going to put those conversions up, and, and for anyone who does in the future go through this book, uh, yeah, happy to share how that works if you want to tackle trying to how, to how that conversion would do yourself. And if you don't figure it out, then I can give you a, a hint or something. Happy to do that, too. Yeah. And for those interested in the book, uh, Mark uh, posted a link to it on the World of Dragon archive that you can go take a look at it. Yeah. Super cool stuff. And Robert was kind people, enough to share with me earlier. So, yeah. the I hear the lament a lot. Oh, I'd love to learn assembly, but I don't, you know, oh, I looked at it. It's horrible, blah, blah, blah. This is so incremental yes. and it is building on what you know for basic and just adding a little more at a time to it. So, I, I think that it could be really helpful. Huh? Yeah, I, I would say that the, I, I haven't checked out this one. It sounds like a, an interesting approach to it. Like you said, it's it's a little bit different than quite a few others are. The other one that I found really easy to understand 
and and kind of tweaks the game writers, especially is the uh, semi language graphics for the Computer City Color Computer by Don and Kurt Inman. That's the one where I learned how to do graphics and sound yeah. and everything else. And I preferred over Barden's and Leventhal's and Zach's. Yeah, unfortunately, I I think that one the 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 Inman book was the fourth one that I got, and <laughs> that one would have been I think a, a, a pretty pretty straight up starting point, especially when I was like you know eleven or twelve. Yeah, I think that one would have been a lot more helpful. But it's good having the two approaches because that one kind of a you know it does a standard assembly approach type thing, while the one you're talking about here actually has a totally different approach. So if your brain works differently and this works better towards the way you learn this might be the best option for somebody. Or if you if you are a basic programmer that just needs enough assembly to speed up just some things, this can get you there because, I mean, you understand by building an assembler how the program in basic, which you already know, is creating the machine code. And yeah. that helps reinforce what the machine code, the operations themselves are. I thought it was a fantastic approach. I wish I'd have seen that a lot more places. Plus, it means you don't have to buy an assembler. Well, what back in the day, anyway. I mean, obviously, now you just download it. But you know, back then, you if you bought the Barden book, if you bought the Kurt uh, Don and Kurt Inman book, you had to buy Edtasm for forty bucks or Micro eighty or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and this, this book, the last bit is a recommendation on commercial assemblers to go get to go further and what kind of features they have and it talks about uh demon dasm and dream and i know that the dragon folks have i've heard them recommend dream Dream, a number of times (laughs) yep and and you know this guy's like here here this is what i built you can get started with it but here's where you're going to want to go if you keep if you keep doing anything at all this is where you want to go so uh, they're very cool stuff. I, I can't recommend this book highly enough for basic programmers who want to start getting into assembly without having to try to swallow the entire programmer's manual at once. When I uh, first started fooling uh, around with uh, the um, basic, I, I ran into the Peaks, Pokes, and Execs book you know, thing, and I was thinking to myself, I, I wouldn't have to learn that language. I could just learn the basic and then do all these, um, you know, uh, peaks and pokes going out to, and then that would be just as fast as doing assembly. I was thinking in my mind. And then as time went on and I watched some of the shows and, and, and it's like, uh, not even nothing's close to assembly language. Right. Uh, yeah, the closest probably be fourth or C if you wanted to to do that, but you still have to learn a whole new language. So yeah, yeah the whole thing. But I, I saw that book of Pokes, Peaks, and Exec, and if you go through and you look at all the different things it controls, and then I start thinking to myself, well, I could you know make a basic program and include some of this stuff, and it would do neat things. But then exactly. you know, and that's what that particular book was for. Was you know again, you know, if you're not going to do the full blown assembly thing, you can at least leverage more than what the basic (laughs) so and um to wrap up my third update project wise this week is that i seem to have finally gotten fully back into working on nostromo and uh i am I, i showed an update a couple of weeks ago of finally being able to move around the map and and going past my original throw down cheap version of proof of concept stuff uh i've been working on the pieces of Z80 code that implement 
the treasure pickup and breaking down walls and things. And this week I found that I'm a complete idiot. I, when I went through and did the disassembly of the Z80 crate, I fed it to um, Glenn Hewlett's um, Z80 to 6809 converter. And that worked great. So I had a kind of a rough idea of what the 6809 was supposed to be doing for the Z80 equivalent. And then I completely and utterly failed to comment a couple of sections that are fairly important remotely correctly. I got, I was so far off what was actually going on. I don't know how I talked myself into this particular comment hole, <laughs> but it has, it has thrown me completely down the wrong path for quite a while. And the code before it, I got that all works just fine. And the code after it, I got that all works just fine. But these this pair of routines that are the heart of, you know, have I collided with the wall? Do I knock it down to the next section? Not fully. That kind of I got that completely backwards, upside down and inside out all at once. And have, I'm just kind of flabbergasted at how way off I was. But anyway, this week I, fa- I finally figured that out. So I went and I erased all those old broken comments and I started retranslating it line by line again and coming up with a completely different set of code and thinking and understanding of what's going on. And this is all very Z80 and NEC machine specific. So it is exactly how that machine was working internally and how the Z80 was, you, there were tricks that you can do with Z80 assembly that we're doing things in that specific machine. And that's what I'm up against, but I'm, I, I, I it's not a hundred percent working, but last night I started knocking down some walls badly and I ended up blowing myself up and the whole ship exploded, but walls were knocked down. And so progress has been made. I'll let you in a little secret. Uh, there's a lot of that type of uh, miss commented code in, in nitrous nine from when bill and me and, and alan were just trying to figure out everything because we're assembling everything raw with no documentation basically and there's times that we went off on tangents and then we take a look and you've got like 200 and some odd k of source code and going i'm not rewriting all that crap i'll just put a note at the beginning saying ignore comments for this routine they're wrong it's actually doing this <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's right where i was was i i i, I sat there and it, it just like okay no that isn't what that's doing at all that that has nothing to do with anything what was i even thinking delete yeah. delete 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 yeah i just started scrubbing lines okay start over all right everything else is working this i just start over throw out the old that's done i was an idiot now do it again this time do it right and it seems to be getting there so and now i'm just basically wrestling with what i thought i was originally wrestling with which was the difference in how carry flag works and some other strange stuff but i actually had to start doing some main debuggers memory dumps to figure out what was really going on in that nec machine at certain parts of the code because uh yeah the machine specific tricks that were going on there for addressing and and making logic decisions based on the machine state i no i can't just guess this i have to i have to just go look what the heck is it doing so anyway um, you know, back on the case, more investigation, slow progress is slowly grinding on opcode by opcode. That's my yep. updates. What it's do you good to see you're doing progress. What do you need comments mm-hmm. for? The code should be self-evident. <laughs> Especially when it's self-modifying, so right? 
especially when you're reading your own code like seven months later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Problem with writing your own code is that you know in your head what it's supposed to be doing, so you just assume that whether it's doing that, that or that's not. That's what it's actually right. doing. Right, and, and every time you debug it, you read exactly what you want it to do, no matter what yep. it actually. And you're going, says, "What is wrong with this machine? This CPU is screwed here. I'm doing this right. Have and I then found you, a bug in the hardware? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've thought that at times. <laughs> then you take a look a little bit. Oh, that's a B, not an A. Whoops. <laughs> Except oh, Nick. Nick does everything perfectly in code. So. I forgot a number oh. sign. That's my Robert? biggest sin, is I'll forget yeah. the immediate. Or I'll put an immediate that wasn't supposed to be there. Either yeah. one. Something with a number sign. Whenever I forget the dollar working, sign, so it does a decimal instead of a hex or something. That's another one I've done yeah, a bit. The, whenever something stops working, the first thing I start at, do I need a dollar sign? Did I forget a dollar sign? I mean, no. Yeah, Such a mess. Anyway, lots of fun this week. More to come. Cool. Hey, uh, any other uh, project updates or acquisitions or? Especially for those who join the show a little bit later, uh, maybe Brian Schubring, did you have anything or? Uh, no, not really. Can you hear me coming through? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, keeping healthy and uh, wearing out the storm that came through last night. <laughs> right. Yeah, Grant through went went through a heck of a storm there too. Is is everything finally resolved there, Grant? If you're kicking around. Nope, sorry. Uh so yeah, the storm uh, went through a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I got the my unfortunately my car is probably gonna be totaled, my old car. And I'm um, gonna be getting a new roof and uh, new gutters, it looks like to be put on the house. So <laughs> a lot of work coming up. So are you living or you're still at home though? Like it didn't damage the roof bad enough that you have to like leave and live in a hotel or did it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not, not that bad, but it's enough. You have to get the old roof off and repair it and so forth because okay. when the tree fell down, it kind of bent everything on that one side. So we have a tarp up there and everything right now. So this is how you um, upgrade your house instead of um, doing it um, voluntarily. The weather <laughs> gives you a new roof. Yeah, this is where the instead of me chasing the storms, the storms were chasing me this time. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, they gave you a new car, so hey. yep, yep, that's true. <laughs> it's not nice to mess with Mother Nature. That is true. She'll is come back dog, and get you. <laughs> is your dog's name Toto? No, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> okay, um, doesn't look like there's any other project updates, acquisitions. Uh, so okay, so first commercial break, and then Ken, are you ready All for? Right game on no i'm sleeping right now okay uh, well, wake yourself up <laughs> you okay two, i'm ready you got two minutes <laughs> hey amy hey taylor we're watching the coco nation show yeah we are Woo! you should too It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. 
The Cocoa Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brandon Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Schaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stiege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Dot Matrix Girl says, I'm Zuki, I'm getting a Tandy 3000HL that apparently turned on once but won't turn on again. I've done some soldering projects related to modding game consoles, Atari VCS and Game Boys, but haven't done too much that would apply to fixing power issues. Hopefully I get it and it turns on but if not I'll be asking for help around here. Found this place through a Google search. Gruffazilla says, the Coco was my first computer. Just checking things out. My name is Randall, I develop browsers and mobile games as a hobby at gruffazilla.com. I found out about this server at the Austin Classic Game Fest. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Asteroids RX. We had a total of nine players. We had Sloopy Malibu who couldn't get the program running so he got a big fat zero. Shenley, 5680. Exile in Paradise, 7670. Coconut Bob, 9430. L. Curtis Boyle, 14170. Canadian Retro Things, 15050. Jim Rye, 18430. Buck Owens, 78220. And the number one score this week belongs to Tasman with 99,960 coming in just below wrapping the game. Thanks, everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. Didn't he wrap it a couple I'd, of times? Uh, yeah, I pretty, thought he did wrap it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wrapped it. He just didn't post those scores. Because it wouldn't, uh, it doesn't, that extra digit doesn't show on the high score screen. No. He said that if he was going to uh, post one of the wrapped scores, he'd post a video with it. But no need to. He got first place anyway.
There's no use, you know, rubbing our face in it that he, uh, you know, mm-hmm. oh, was orders 20. of magnitude better scores than the rest of us. So you got 4,000. I got 24 million. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm pretty sure he did. He wrapped it twice on the Thursday. Yeah, during the live stream, I think yeah. he mentioned wrapped it twice. Yeah. But hey, he didn't post the score, so it's not official. <laughs> <laughs> Just a nasty rumor. And uh, Mark O, um, since you suggested this game, how come I never saw your score up there? I was busy this week, unfortunately. I was going to post one last night, but I didn't. But, you know, I'm not what about last week? games. It's been two weeks. Come on. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, I know I was playing this like a month ago, and I, I think I got 3,000 if I remember right. But anyway, I, I, I didn't do very life. well. But I, I, loved, I loved the action, though. What did, what did everybody else think? Did they like the, the, the play of the game? I mean, as far as like the uh, physics of it? Once, once the bug fixes came out, yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I never that, got a high enough score to actually trigger any of the bugs. So there were bugs. Yes. For those who scored high enough. Yeah. And I got there's a little private group set up between the original uh, Spectrum author Alan uh, Parasrod, who did the port to the Coco, myself, um, Buck, I think was in there, Tasman was in there, a couple others, um, and uh, we eventually going back and forth, figured out what was going on and got it fixed. There's one other little bit of bugs, I think, that can show up once you get to later levels with a lot of asteroids. And there's a private 6309 optimized version that seems to fix that. Um, if you have a Coco 3, you can run full double speed and it doesn't have a problem at all. But uh, there were certain specific cases with the uh, Coco DV and the Coco VGA because of the way they do their frame refreshes. A, a bit of a technical explanation. Basically, what Para did to speed up the game to be able to handle all the asteroids is then when the raster on the screen hits the bottom and is about to go back to top the V blank, he actually kicks in full double speed, RAM and ROM, which normally scrambles the screen on a Coco 1 or 2 because it's too fast for the VDG and the SAM to handle. But he turns it on only enough until it's about to redraw the screen and shuts it back off, so you don't see any of that. It'll just speed up enough to catch it up. But when you get the maximum of asteroids on the screen, especially a lot of the smaller ones at once, then it sometimes still falls behind. And... uh, the Coco DV and the Coco VGA basically take a, a scan of what the buffer is supposed to be and then redirects it, you know, re-outputting it on a VGA display or whatever, HDMI display. And uh, they don't know what to do when the uh, the timing goes, you know, fast, slow, fast, slow on the same screen like that because it throws the timing off as far as, you know, how long it takes to refresh. So it's catching it in the middle and stuff. So it starts screwing it up and it doesn't quite display properly. But uh Going into 639 native mode, which means you're not doing the double speed poke, seems to be enough of a speed gain because it gets to do with the entire frame, not just the B blank, seems to fix it for those. So anybody who's got a Coco DV or a Coco VJ and is trying to play and is getting some weird glitches on it, graphically, there is a version that will, um, I'm not sure if uh, Alan's going to put it up for direct download, but there is a version that we can arrange to get you that will uh, solve that problem if you have a 639. And if you don't have a 6309, why not? Yeah, the other option is a SAM doubler, but I don't think Brendan's selling that yet, is he? I, he's got a few people that have got it. It's like a Gimme X. There was you know, problems with chips gone missing during COVID and stuff here. There's a the SAM doubler, which requires, I think, static RAM and stuff like that, but that allows the full double speed at all times, too. That does fix it. Uh, Rob Ron Klein ch- tested that and verified it. Are they going to roll those modified versions into the uh, standard download from HIO, or how how do you go back? I those? don't know. Um Alan basically just wanted to make sure it worked on stock machines. He's not worried about a bunch of third-party upgrades done decades mm-hmm. later. 
it, he wanted to get it running on the original. And the original hardware was having problems with, you know, some of the the earlier versions here, but they got fixed during the week. Okay, cool. So during the game on challenge, uh, towards the end, I I started to play this uh, this past week, and uh, I kept on running into the problem. And there was a fix, I think, Curtis, that you mentioned in the Discord, um, something about run out one. And uh, to get it going, because one of the issues I was having was I would start to play and asteroids would start just multiplying around me. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That might have been an older version because the uh, the run at uh, you wouldn't have even got it running if you hadn't. I, I downloaded it that night. OK. Uh, during the discord. And I didn't know maybe if we wanted to if if this would be a good time, I can I got it all set up right here. I can share my screen and we can go through that that whole that steps that you were saying, there's a couple steps where you, um, where you do the, uh, the run at one. Yeah. Basically you mount, you mount this is for the Coke SDC. So you mount the image first, mm -hmm. uh, you, which you can use the Coke SDC Explorer or you can do the drive command. And then you have to do run at one, which reboots the machine in stock disk basic 1.1, not SDC DOS. Cause SDC DOS does break compatibility with a few games. This isn't the only one. And then uh, it still leaves that disk mounted, so you can still access it like a normal drive. And then you load the game and you exec it as a straight Cocoa with Disk Basic. Okay, so I mounted. But you're the only one I've heard of that's actually still had problems uh, since the new version's been released. Are you running on a Cocoa DV or a uh, Cocoa no, VGA? Just a Cocoa uh, Cocoa Three One Twenty Eight with Cocoa STC. Okay. So I wasn't aware of the Cocoa Three having any issues. I'll, I can try it again here real quick where we're uh, where we're going. Do you, you know what version you have? It's L is the latest release. Um, let me do a dir here. It'd be the last letter of the file name. Oh, I lost my. Uh, huh. I mounted it. Hmm. I'll have to check here. But uh, you guys can continue on. I'll I'll go ahead and try it again here real quick and see what I see what happens. Yeah, though the 6309 optimized version is an M, which is not publicly released, but L's the public release that should fix pretty well most yep. of the bugs. Yeah, I have the uh, the L. Okay. So, yep, so I mounted the disk. And I can should go ahead and yep, mount the drive one. So. And when he runs there. out of letters, what is he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Special symbols. When I'm doing a dir, how come Graphic I'm blocks. My... That's what I'll do. I mount, I mount the disk, and then when I escape out i'm uh i'm losing it what am i doing wrong here? do you do one because if you mount a drive one it'll be on the second drive okay well i didn't do that the first time i wonder what i uh do i have to do a drive one to set my drive yep otherwise you're on drive zero yep okay there we go if you do a dir one does it show up uh yeah if i do a dir one it, it would show up yeah yep so let me go ahead and do a load yeah, you can either load Emmet with a colon one at the end, or you can do a drive one first and then just load Emmet normally. Mm -hmm. Either way will work. And I can share my video if you guys want me to. If this is something that you guys want to do, yep. someone else might get some I was sure David Ladd was going to pop in here because this is all drive related. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the video. More turn your okay, camera. You mentioned a floppy drive. What's up? <laughs> we're glad you're paying attention Dave <laughs> we've been talking about flop, floppy drives for about five minutes David what's going on no no that's the Coco STC there's there, there's it's just a, a few slight differences <laughs> so is this where I would do that do that run at one right uh, nope yeah. 
You're gonna have to reload it after that, right? This will yes. reboot the machine. Okay. Yeah, you didn't need. Yeah, you don't bother doing the load until after the run at one. Oh, you can just SDC DOS to mount the disk. Then you have to reboot and then load the program and exit. Okay, so that's probably what I did wrong there. Then I had the sequence all messed up. Then so. Yeah, somebody else in the Discord had the same issue. They were doing it the wrong way around. But if you've never done this before, I mean, it's it's not intuitive. And now you'll know how to do it. What I'd like to figure out, if, if, if somebody can, is is what exactly is that game doing that is requiring raw disk basic? So it'd be nice to patch it so it just runs off the SDC, you know, right off the Explorer. So yeah, that, to do all this. that may be more than one thing, depending on what weird hooks they're going for. Yeah, because I, I, I'm trying to remember, uh, Ken, you probably know better than I do, because uh, I only got a chance to play it the one last day there. Um, does it, when you do things like change the default mode, whether you're in hyperspace or shields or you redefine the keys, I think it saves a copy of it with the new changes, doesn't it? Or does it reset uh, every time you load? I'm pretty sure it resets every time you load. Oh, okay. I thought maybe he's calling a disk routine directly to, to resave the program or something. Okay, so this is all controlled by keyboard, isn't it? This one? Yep. I can't so, remember what the default keys are. Ken can help you on that one. I always remapped it. I, always I just remapped it immediately. Oh, you did? <laughs> I never <laughs> figured out what the default keys were. That way you don't have to worry what the default keys are. So let's see here. Where to remap the keys here are? R to redefine, yeah. There we go. So I'm just going to use the right arrow, the left arrow. Yep. What do you guys do for thrust? I used up arrow for thrust. but I use down arrow, arrow for thrust. Okay. And then uh, your shield, use the up arrow because it's a lot. You, you use your shield a lot more than thrust. Okay, that makes sense. Then the hyper, up arrow. That's the same as shield. Yep. Fire. I'm just gonna use my space bar. Space bar. Yep. And then press uh, the. Uh, press I, I just use Q for exit. Yeah, that's what I use too. Is Q. Here we are. Okay. Okay. And then press use your left bar. and right arrows to change mode. And you can hit the enter key if you prefer the white background instead of green. Yep. I prefer the black one. The this? black background? Oh, that's right. You can't do that. It's a foreground joke. <laughs> oh. Neutroid could. <laughs> okay, so to get started Space here. Okay, Space fire. Cool. There we are. Oops. So. You died. Yep. That's an asteroid that always went for me. <laughs> That's no. pretty well my summary of my gameplay right there. <laughs> I, I usually start moving first and then fire at stuff. And this is pretty much the example of the Thursday night show, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, it's the game. Oh, I exploded. Hey, it's the game. Oh, I exploded. Yep, pretty much. Hey, but the Unless Tasman's there playing, then he just puts us all to shame. Yeah, he just wraps exactly. it three or three times and gets bored. <laughs> All right. Hey, so, anyways, this this is the asteroids game for those of you that did not uh, try it out this time. Yeah. So, and for those of you who are into multiple machines, uh, when you purchase this, which is four ninety nine US off HIO, four dollars um, and ninety nine cents, not four hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yes, yeah. correct. <laughs> um, you actually get both the ZX Spectrum, which has three different versions, I believe. There's one for the Spectrum Next and the Spectrum and the Spectrum Two. And the Cocoa and Dragon versions as well. So you'll you'll get a whole bunch of machines covered. Yep. All in that one price. 
again, I thought the uh, physics were pretty cool. I mean, it felt felt right because it been around. So. Yeah, I haven't played the um, arcade version of Asteroids for many, 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 many years, years, but uh, it seemed to uh, to me to be very close to what it was back then. Yep. I will mention too, as of this morning, I actually put up a game page entry on my Coco Games page for this one with a direct link to his itch.io page if you did want to buy it and not have to type it all in from the chat. So trivia time. Do you know what the UFOs are named? UFOs? Yeah, the UFOs in Astro. No, that's what I call them, just UFOs. <laughs> bad guy and bad guy too. Nothing Big I can... and small UFO. Yeah, nothing I can repeat here. The large <laughs> one is Wally, and the small one is the beaver. Really? Yes. <laughs> Do I want to know why they're named that? <laughs> because of the old TV show, Wally. It doesn't doesn't you date the Arthur at all. Leave it to Beaver. beaver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, famous. Leave it to beaver. So I don't see your problem happening. So I guess it was just the direction. Yep. Nope. That yep. This that resolved it. Thank you. Yep. I mean, I can go in and if you guys want to see what it was doing, I can I can show you the bug, but it was kind of quite weird. Yeah, no, it's I'll have to ask Para exactly what uh, what he's doing that might be causing a di- incompatibility between Disk Basic and the SDC DOS because that doesn't show up too often. There's a few other programs that do that. I know Nick, we we encountered a few of them. And with the interrupts, um, no, not usually interrupts because I mean all Coco Three games pretty well use interrupts, so. None of them really required. I think it's more if it's disk I.O. or direct calls to basic disk basic ROM somewhere. Usually is what causes it. Because SCC DOS has so many extra features and commands added in that or, or change commands that basically the code's not in the same spot anymore. So this seems very playable. Just uh, reminds me very much of the of the arcade. So yeah, I I, like I mentioned on the on the page entry I did for it. I think it's closer to the arcade than Star Blaster. I still I still like Star Blaster too because it kind of does the asteroids deluxe with the shields as well. Um, I mean, there's obviously a forty year difference between when they were actually programmed and released, but forty two <laughs> actually in this case, they're both really well done to be honest. But this one, if you want it, if you want as close to the arcade as you can, this is it. Except for Nick, was it Mark that was doing the uh, asteroids yeah. transcode uh, for the Coco Three? Mark but he, he never finished. It, but that was a while back, and I don't think he ever finished it. Yeah, because he was actually going to do it in six forty by two twenty five. So basically, the highest res the Coco three can do to make it as look as close to vector as possible. I would really like to see that because he was actually transcoding it. But uh, yeah, it'd be a wider screen, and, and you certainly don't get that ugly green border on around the screen either. I find that green border soothing. Yes. <laughs> it calms you down, Nick. You just got to learn to live with it. If he did a Coco 3 version that could just turn that off, I'd, I'd like Then it. you'd get all mad and ragey when you when you die a lot because that well, calming green is not there anymore. And I died a lot in this game, and I yep. never lost my temper once. <laughs> there we go. I, I switched it to the black and white to... Uh, to... Oh, no, he wants <laughs> it black. He doesn't want a border at all. He's... You can oh, fix he... that border with duct tape. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one way to do it. <laughs> but on the Coco 3, you can turn that off. Yeah, if you set it up as a gimme 256 by 192 yeah, instead of a just, BDG uh, style. Yeah. 
instead of setting up a VDG uh, mode. I know I'm of, so used to having that border. I it, it kind of feels wrong without it. it does, yeah, it's just it doesn't look right. It's not a Coco game if it doesn't have the border. Yeah. That's how uh, you identify a Coco game, honestly. That's true, but yeah, to me that's always looked wrong. I, I always picture like myself personally the Coco threes when you don't see the border because then you're kicking in like the high res with more colors anyway. And I just it never bothered me any, but uh, I, I understand because you want it to you know look like an arcade game, not. It would look uh, very much like the arcade mm. one then if it was a, a yeah. black border as well. Well, you I mean, the black border doesn't help Neutroid, so it's not always solving anything anyway. So, so take a sharpie and draw little pictures over the border, and then it'll look like a bezel around a uh, arcade game. <laughs> I think Patrick's idea is probably the best: put a cut out with black cardboard. Uh, a big <laughs> sheet of black cardboard, cut out the hole and stick it on your screen. Then you'll never see that border. <laughs> and then you can white out the rest of the screen and then you won't see it at all. <laughs> Nick, Nick, did a uh, uh, model one, um, you know, TRS 80, that, yep. that didn't really have a border, did it? No, it was always black. So is that why, you know, you, you're used to that first? No, you know, it and then when you went to well, Coco, it had this offensive Even border. in the arcades, most games are all black. You don't have a bright, bright white or green background. Yeah. It's just the Coco that does that. Everything else turns it Yeah, off. there's a few games it specifically does work on, like skiing is oh, one, because yeah. you're, you're in a you know, snow white spot, and basically it just looks like you know the horizon, the clouds, and the ground run together. Yeah. So it's a big one big white screen with poles and sticks on the middle, but... But yeah. yeah, generally, yeah, a black, yeah, yeah. black border is what I mean. Some used. some games like where they they create a, a screen like a view screen with a little bit of a console or something with controls and stuff, and they actually made it so white was the background of the console, so it actually fits and it looks like a it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. Like Project mm-hmm. Nebula kind of does that as an example, but uh, yeah, I, I understand. But it, yeah, to me, it's it's part of the unique cocoaness. It's how you can tell a Coco or Dragon game yeah, pretty well that, right off the bat. No, well, you can tell anything that uses a six eight four seven. Like an acorn or... Uh... Yeah, they all do that as well. Yeah. No, it's a good game. If, if you guys are Asteroids fans and you want as close to the arcade as you can get with both Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, Alan, who programmed this originally on the Spectrum in 2021, uh, he did a clean room implementation, but he tried to get it as close as he could. He did change the saucers, the ship shapes, and a few other things to be a bit more unique. But other than that, it's it's probably the closest clone I know of. All right, here's a here's a question. Um let, you know, modern computers have um all these really cool graphics now and explosions have which in space you don't have any flames, but <laughs> do they have um a newer version of this that you know is actually um you know asteroid looking, you know, going no, high and in a spaceship with lasers shooting out that looks like lasers and stuff. I've I've seen forth. stuff where they've tried to do something like that, but uh, honestly, that's uh, never gone over well because this is such a classic game. Yeah, yeah. The um on the Amiga, they got a game called um as um what's it called Stardust, which is an asteroid, but it's got the flashy graphics, but it's still asteroids like like this yeah and it's not that at least from my understanding it's not that popular because it doesn't remind you of the original arcade and that's what you're you're playing yeah Yeah. pretty good game it's quite well done it's nice graphics but but it's not asteroids it it feels cartoony 
to me. Uh, do they, I don't know about that, but um, does the Vectrex have this? It uh, does, they have a clone, yeah. don't they? It's not actually called that. Uh, so I don't yeah. think it's officially licensed, but yeah, they do. Yeah, well, they have an asteroids as well. Yeah, because this is right up the alley, right? It's yep. very um, well. Yeah, it's the exact same technology the original arcade game used. Yep, vector beam. So and we've got multiple clones that are kind of close. We've got Star Blaster. We've got Asteroids RX. We've got Microbes slash Colored Meteoroids, depending on what era you picked it up at. So we we got a few of them, but they're all trying to look like a two color, just like the original arcade. I don't know wasn't if any color dressed. Wasn't there a version in the arcades that also the asteroids spun as well? Uh, deluxe, they... I think they spun, not oh, not the original the asteroids. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of both because when you enable the shield mode, that's kind of asteroids deluxe, same as Star Blaster, but neither Star Blaster oh. nor asteroids RX rotate the uh, asteroids. It's just a bunch of extra time or extra memory, I guess, because you could you know pre pre figure out the vectors and stuff. Hmm. So from a gameplay, um, I remember back in the day when I be actually at the arcade, some guys preferred to be moving. Yeah, you did the hunting, as they call it. You'd you'd have one little asteroid left, and you'd fly kind of parallel with it, but you keep moving so the little saucer can't track you and kill you instantly. And you could just, you know, if once you get good at it, you can go forever. I think that's what Tasman does, isn't it? Right, as long as you don't kill that last little asteroid, it's your grave. Yeah, because if you do it by accident, then all of a sudden all the big ones suddenly show up, and you're flying. Still going a thousand miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting that when you blow up an asteroid, that parts of it will kill you. Does it's it? like real life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, when, when they did that test to try to deflect that asteroid, they ended up creating a debris stream that's like huge. And they're wondering, like, if an asteroid got close to Earth and they did that, yeah, it wouldn't one be one it big hit? Make it just, worse. You know, trade it for 100 small hits all over the world. It might actually be worse. But quite be quite a, a show in the sky. Well, it'd be more of a show in the sky because instead of one big bright burst of one big asteroid, you'd have a whole bunch of them. It'd be like a meteor shower. Yeah, that would not end even in the daytime. Yeah, I I think it like getting a bit off topic and I'm just going to do it briefly. If we did have to deflect deflect an asteroid, I think is what we have to do for Earth. You can't just try to hit it and blow it up. You have to like land something and then thrust in a certain direction or steer it out of the way with a little bit of microgravity or something. Use a giant baseball bat. (laughs) As long as it has lettering (laughs) on the side. Okay, so Asteroids RX, uh, definitely, if you are a fan of Asteroids, is a game worth picking up. Because, yeah, it really does remind you of the old game. And the other game that we played this week was Balloon Fire. So uh, that is basically just a shooting game where you're a cross or an arrow thing at the top of the screen. And you've got to shoot all the balloons as they're floating up towards you. Any of them get past you, it kills you. The name doesn't fit together very well. <laughs> balloon fire? Yeah. There's balloons and you fire at them. Yeah, balloons and fire don't mix. And that one there was a, a program by somebody in the community, wasn't it? Ron? Or yeah. Oh, uh, Terry, yeah, Terry, Terry Steen. Terry, 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 yep. Terry Steen, yeah. So we've yep. we've discussed we've had Terry Steen on the show before. We've discussed his uh games with him and We've even shown examples of this game before. We just haven't actually done it as an official game on challenge game. So, quick, quick question for Ken and Sloopy: Have either you tried to reach out to Terry to see, like, next week's the cutoff for uh, scores for the uh, Balloon Fire game? Has either of you tried approaching Terry to see if he'll come on to discuss the game with us? I'm well, I know. No, I have I not. Ask him. Yeah, sure. Ask him. Okay. 
Because I, I, I honestly think from playing it, it the game becomes impossible because it starts spreading the balloons it does. out it at a certain so speed too far fast. apart. And I'm wondering if he kind of realized that on, or he did that on purpose. Maybe it's got a god mode or something. Because <laughs> you can't move fast enough to get between the two. And as soon as it hits the top of the screen, you die. So. Yeah, when you get one on one side of the screen, one on the other side of the screen, as soon as you get... If you, uh, it starts every time you die, it starts out slower. But by the time you get about 2,000 points, they're going so fast that you can't get from one side of the screen to the other. Yeah. And a few of us have seen when you hit about 8,000, there's this weird there's slowdown. A glitch. Yeah, yeah. Weird, weird slowdown, at least in VCC. I, know, so, I guess too, it's on real hardware too. I know it's on real hardware. And what I'm kind of wondering is. Because uh, w- one of the strategies that I've been using is kind of uh, doing repeated fire as I move back and forth. Yeah, that's been, what I've I been trying. I've been trying to stay in the middle, and then I just kind of whenever I'm moving, I'm always shooting. And it seems like if I shoot a lot, because I've had it happen a couple times now, even at two and four thousand points, I get this slowdown for a little bit. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if it's I don't know what the relationship between shooting is, but it, it just kind of felt to me like if I was shooting a lot more than other times. Uh, that it would, uh, that's when the, the slowdown would happen. So I'm not sure. Do you, do you have electric car charging? Electric charge charging? No. <laughs> I wonder what it's written in. I wonder if it's a compiled basic program. No, it's written in assembly. It is assembly. Okay. But I'm guessing he doesn't have backgrounds processing for sound. It's actually takes over the CPU when he's doing sound effects. If you're firing a lot and you're getting the little fire sounds, it might be slowing it down, just trying to play a little yeah. every time you fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't firing a lot the time. The times that I've had it uh, slow down on me, I wasn't firing a lot. It just all of a sudden would go. Into we can always invite with... Terry on and ask him. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe for next week. Anyways, uh, so those were the games this week. Um, Sloopy, are you here? Uh, yes, Sloopy. Well, Sloopy, I might be sleeping. Are you awake, Dude, Sloopy? Hang on. Yeah, he might be busy at the moment. Oh, okay. Was there so any tips I or will... tricks for the asteroids oh. RX for anybody, I guess, is the first question. Before we get into the live. Don't just sit in the middle of the screen and spin around and shoot like I did when I was a kid. Yeah, just hold on the right arrow and just tap fires fast. No, that never worked for me either. I did try that. Well, that is how I used to play it as a kid, though. <laughs> <laughs> Question, where do you get that game from, the Asteroids game? Uh, um, we posted the link on in the chat, and also if you go to my site, the game entry for it has the direct link to the HIO page. You can purchase it for $4.99. Uh, purchased all right. it. I, I posted both links, both the direct one and the one to Curtis's page. Cool. Has anyone done Tempest yet? Aside from Storm by Computerware, not that I'm aware of. Mm. That's a Semi-Graphics 24 clone of Tempest. Storm? Yeah. It's on the archive. Cool. Thanks. All right. Well, um, I will attempt a slideshow of the live game on challenge or uh, playthrough from Thursday night. So we had a few people uh, playing. So I think up to six at one point. I think seven at one. Point. Seven at one point, maybe. I don't know. Apparently I didn't... playing Seamus by the looks of the screen. Yeah, that, that was me. 
Um, isn't Seamus the one that has, I think, a bad sector for the copy protection? Uh, depending on the version, if you have the Radio Shack version, yes, I believe that is true. I don't think the original Synapse version did. And the credit screen's a little bit different, so you can tell the difference between the two. Well, yeah, because we'll I always I was... remember trying to back up my original one that I got from Radio Shack and could never do it. Well, we'll, uh, ignore the, we'll ignore the fact that I was playing Seamus, and uh, we got a couple of people <laughs> playing Asteroids and a couple of people playing Balloon Fire. So, um, yeah, so it was a good time to be had. Uh, there was a bunch of us there. Just generally goofing off, playing video games, which is what we do every Thursday night. So if you're not showing up for that, why not? It's a fun time. Yeah, and as you demonstrated, you don't have to play the uh, featured games. You just uh, basically, if you can play any Coco game, yep, we won't, we won't, you know, castrate you or anything like that. So, but it's got to wow. be a Coco game, or or an MC10 game, or a Dragon game. And it can't be Neutroid because Neutroid is just horrible. Yeah. Well, well you forgot the Brazilian machines. Oh, CB400 is a sample from Korea. That one, too. <laughs> it's got to be within the family. Yes. There, there you go. go. Okay, the that's cousins. better. That's better. That's what I was pushing for. <laughs> the hardware cousins, as we mentioned during the intro to the show. <laughs> Remember back in the early days, um, there were a couple of discs you can get that had a whole bunch of different programs on it that would allow you to copy discs and, and you know, like disc to tape and all these different ones. Yeah. And there's one for copy protection too. Yeah. Uh, Prickly were Pear there, had one and uh, Omniclone was one. Um, right. Were there any that were really successful? Because it seems to me that um, I've tried different ones on these discs and, you know, I, I could never get a, I think the most robust copy. one for that, because you're right, you know, it worked on some, didn't work on others. I think is Carl England's Defeater, and he's Defeater. still around. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Got some updates a uh, year or two back, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Carl just did some patches to it there to handle some uh, bigger disc sizes and stuff. So yeah, that'd be the one to get. I know that Sportswear came out with a um, disc that would in- encrypt something to where. Um, you know, you can make a program and then have it so that when you produced it, it would, you know, not be copyable. But yeah, there's a lot. DICOM did that. Um, Computerware had one where if you tried to copy it, and it, it it would corrupt the disk and rewrite the directory. So when you did it, it said, buy your own, buy your own, buy your own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now getting back to the Game On Challenge. Yes. Like herding cats here today. Yep. Um. So that that's the Thursday night show happens at uh, eight o'clock Eastern time. So it's in the Discord that's channel, five p.m. in Pacific time. Yep, show up, have some fun, play some games, or just hang out and talk. There's people that come in there and just uh, hang out to chat with everybody. So or play the wrong games, like I did a month ago by playing there you go. RX. <laughs> <laughs> but you were playing a Coco game, so it's okay. All right, and so for one more week, we are playing Balloon Fire. And for the next two weeks, we are playing this game. If anybody recognizes it. Oh, it's a Pango clone. I'm trying which one this is. Is that Weros Mutants? Yes. 
a game that's not on Curtis's site. Oh, there's about 900 games that aren't on my site yet, so don't worry about that. No, I'm just mentioning it so that uh, I can give you more work this week. Uh, depending on oh, real work, that might not be happening. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Pengo uh, clone game, so you just have to uh, push boxes and kill the bad guys. How many Pengo games were there on the Coco? Uh, Pangon by Spectral, Warehouse Mutants from Tom Mix. Uh, there was one in Rainbow Magazine that actually is not too bad for the Coco 3. There's another one on the Dragon. I can't remember the name of it. So there's at least four that I know of. All right. So is this black and white on the Coco 3? With RGB? Not on composite. With RGB, it would be. Okay. Yeah. But that one, I think, cleanly patches it. I don't think it uses the uh, kind of mixed mode where you can do the artifacting and the fine detail. So I think if you ran it through RGB patch by Spectral Associates, uh, that would probably fix it in this case. There appears to be a patch version for the Coco 3 on the archive already. Oh, is there already? Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Franklin <laughs> Harris in the chat says, uh, it's like herding cats every week. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are the uh, games. That's the Game On Challenge for this week. Actually, there's and, uh, a question for you, Ken, here, uh, since you're familiar okay. with Warehouse Mutants, and obviously I'm not because it's on my site. Sixty's asking, can you shake the border? It seemed that most are the thing that most clones lacked from the arcade game. I don't believe you can, but I, I've i never played the actual um, game, so I didn't know you could shake the border. Yeah, when you press up against the border, it uh, does a, a bit of a shake effect. Well, now I'll have to try it because I honestly can't say that I've never tried it because I've never thought of doing that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I I don't I'm trying to remember I, if I did play the actual arcade game, it was only like once or twice because not many arcades here had it, and it wasn't a game I was that interested in by that time. I didn't know you could do that either. Did I miss anything? <laughs> yeah, you missed your just whole your segment. cue. Yeah, uh, you missed the your cue. Session. You missed the. Uh, you talked about Neutroid for like the last half hour. <laughs> can we do it again it's not true because otherwise nick's the icon there would suddenly change to a big smile on his face so well i, I know it's not true because you're still here and uh you're not on homicidal rage <laughs> no. that coco green border strikes again sorry i had a phone call someone was interested in buying my van that's okay just telling everybody to make sure you come out for uh, Thursday night's shows. And by the way, um, I'm gone for the next couple of weeks, so uh, all of your oh, um, all of your hate mail goes to Sloopy. Uh, I've just been cc'ing you both on it all the time, anyway. So, it's, so uh, we got Neutroid for the next four weeks, is it? Yeah, Nick is <laughs> the new Neutroid ready. Yeah. <laughs> I've you got a trash can and EOU already ready for it. So yeah. Did you uh, announce a new game, or did I miss that? Not too? yet. I announced a new game. Yes. Uh, oh yes, that we did. Anything good? Warehouse Color strips it. Ooh. I'm le- I'm leaving color scripts it for you. So we're doing uh, warehouse mutants. Yeah, a pango clone. If you're not familiar with it. Hmm. What have about- we ever done an adventure game? Or what happened to the game we talked about the other day? That was the game we talked about the other day. Oh, okay. I forget. I mean, that was yesterday. I can't even remember <laughs> 10 minutes ago. So. It was yeah, 10 Nick, days Nick, ago. 
Nick was bringing up that, you know, uh, we're talking about possibly adding like a third game at some time, like as an adventure game, because that doesn't really go well for a high score challenge type thing. Um, I don't know. Have you guys discussed anything further on that at all? Uh, Not really. But actually, if you play the Sierra games, they do have scores on them. So true. A lot of a lot of adventure games do you you do you score when you get you know all your treasures et cetera too so yeah some info games do as that well would probably well. that would probably be better for the um for where we where you've got a few people all at once and they can all play crowdsource it in, crowd yeah that's it yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would I would probably do it when when Neutroid's on so then people have something to actually do yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking that better to do that uh, when it's not summertime and people can spend a, adventure games. Mm-hmm. You have to actually put some time. Yeah, you have to commit it. a lot of time. So and yeah, maybe so, adventure game is the game of the month rather than yeah. I I agree with that. That was my suggestion as well. Yeah, that's not a. Uh, Ken and I haven't been able to talk much because he's been busy planning to go to that land where they have where the, the land of cooking oil. Uh, what's it called? Yeah, he's he's, he's taking Greece. a vacation to the surface of the sun, from what I've heard. So yeah. yes, so I'm off to Greece. I knew it was a cooking oil of some type. Are you going to take a grease weasel with you? <laughs> ah. <laughs> is it expected to cool down by the time you get there, Ken? Or is it still it's supposed to be forty plus the whole time? Not uh, yeah, it's only supposed to be like thirty three or thirty four degrees when I get there. Oh, that's that's actually quite a drop. It's ten degrees down from what it was. So yeah, uh, I will continue to have a, a love affair with Amanda here. <laughs> oh yeah, he's uh, what's his name that uh, hosted live stream. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Amanda Air Conditioner, new company that makes air conditioners. Oh my God, no Johnson one gets- and Johnson. What? No, no one gets a joke. <laughs> I got it. I'm still waiting for the joke. You missed it. <laughs> yeah, M- Missy thinks we I tell have jokes a- on here. Anna. This is a serious show. There is no room for jokes on this show. Obviously. This show is a joke. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Nailed it. That that is the correct one. Is the show is the joke. Uh, some people. <laughs> Anyway, so Ken, you're off for two weeks? Three. Well, technically three, three because the day that the third Saturday, I'm that's the day I'm actually traveling back here. Okay. And you're still in Ontario for a period of time after that? Yeah. I gotta go to VCF next month. So Oh yeah, we're already mid- halfway there. September. So. Okay, so for next week then. Um, it's going to be both the added new game Warehouse Mutants plus uh, Terry Steen's Balloon Fire. Hopefully, something get a hold Terry and see if he can come on and discuss why the game gets impossible near eight nine thousand points. And Ron <laughs> was going to get a hold of him. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's that for that. So I don't know. Do we want to? Uh... After that extreme version of uh, herding cats, do we need a uh, commercial break or should we go straight into the game on news? I've got more game on news than we've had the last few weeks. So I would say do the commercial break first. Excellent. Because I need coffee. (laughs) Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of the Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to the Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail the Coco Nation. Oh, Oh. Oh. 
in a world where RGB produces black and white video. One cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Gogo3scartcable.com G'day from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Curtis Boyle. I'm Ken Waters of Canadian Retro Things, and you're watching the Coco Nation Show. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. game is Terry Steen's? Balloon Fire. Balloon Fire. Okay. All right, Curtis, you're up. There you go. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> you guys are seeing that? Green, lovely, calming green screen? Yep. Oh, green. Oh, yes. <laughs> All we need is a green floppy drive, and David will be in heaven. I got green floppies. Oh, that could be arranged, Curtis. There's some interesting <laughs> paints out there. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so first up, we've got a couple <laughs> of Jim Gary games here for the MC10. So the first one here, actually, both of these in this case here are actually games that Tandy originally sold as the Micro Games Pack. It was a collection of basic games, 4K, sold on cassette. So what uh, Jim has done here is he's actually gone through and improved both of them. So the first one up here is Pong. And uh, this one originally came out from Tandy in 1983, same year that the actual MC-10 itself was released. Um, he's got a special keyboard ML routine by Greg Dion, the guy who does the MC-10 compiler, basic compiler, that allows both players to move their paddles at the same time. Because the original kind of used the, I think, the in-key thing, where basically each player, it basically shut one player off, and then, you know, the next guy moved, and then back to the first one. And now it's simultaneous play. Adds a little bit enhanced speed-wise. He's done some optimization in basic, uh, using a lot of the basic tricks that Alan Huffman's been blogging about. So I can't remember what speed the original ran, but apparently this is faster. But uh, both players can actually simultaneously move 
which the original version did not support. Anyway, there's that one available. And then the second one that he did off that same cassette thing, and then, by the way, I've mentioned these are 4K, as he's shown here, you know, free memory. So this one here is also uh, one, but this is Breakout. And he did the adding speed ups. He added a high score, what wasn't in the original, and performance rating. And he also patched it. So now this will work with the Joypad controller as well and still fit in 4K. So he's actually enhanced it a fair bit from the original. There's the entire listing with his additions. Now, for those of you on the panel that actually have MC10s, have any of you guys gotten the Joypad? I was wondering we should do a review of it at some point. I don't have an MC10, so I can't. I uh, with the Pi key? What was that? Are you talking about with the Pi key? Where you get the the joystick, the Atari joystick ports that emulate the keypad? I have I don't know, honestly. Okay. I just know Jim Jim has been changing a lot of his games to support the joypad as he calls it. Mm, probably I don't have an MZ ten, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm on the that that's on the list at some point here very soon. I just need to actually box everything up and ship it to Brendan. Okay. Do you know do you know who even manufactures the joypad thing for it? Is that Brendan or does Jim do that himself or well the Pi key that has the Atari ports on it, Brendan makes. Okay. So yeah. I wonder which one he's using. Is he mentioned here? No, he just says the joypad controller. Jim, if you if you happen to be in the chat or if you you know catch us later, just uh, maybe email me and just give me some details on that. I'm, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing or these two different products. Next, yeah, I picked up uh, Brendan's um, package at Coco Fest because I forgot to bring my MC10 along with me, and that's one of my projects is to get that assembled and installed. Yeah, and <clears throat> does his uh, one actually simulate certain specific keys to duplicate? What you know, what most controls are yep. for MC10 yep, games? Yep. yep, through the through the menu, then yeah, you can you can set it up so that way when you're moving the joystick, it's the the MC10 thinks you're hitting the keyboard, and you can define which keys, or is there a standard on MC10 as far as you know directional keys? Well, like if you had keys? a well, like if you had a game that required you know uh, two keys to be used, then you can say the left and the right are those keys, so you don't have to change the game; the game will just work. Okay. Okay, next up, Jim Mose, who just joined our Discord recently, was a new update video to his Superpowers game, which is based on the DC Comics characters and the Saturday morning cartoon of the same name, that he's doing in basic, along with the use of GraphExpress by Jeff Steidel and Sundog Systems. And he's got a list of notes here about what all he's changed. Um, I won't read them all here. He's, he's done some changes to the actual gameplay itself just to add some enhancements to, to what the game eventually is supposed to be doing. He's now using the show fast command in GraphExpress to speed up the sprite animation. It foregoes syncing the 60 years interrupt, but needs additional memory because now it has a triple buffer and adds just a little bit of flicker. Um, and he was trying to figure out a way to combine CBASIC 3, which is a basic compiler by Sircomp, I believe. Same guys who did Windmo Window Master. To work with GraphExpress, because GraphExpress takes a fair bit of room in your 32K map, where BASIC is. I think it reserves some 20,000 right to the end of 32K RAM. 
So that's a good size chunk of like 12K gone for your basic program. And he was trying to figure out some ways to get around that. Now, because it's showing a fair bit of, of different things here, I'm not going to quite play the whole thing, but I'll play a fairly substantial amount uh, just so people can kind of see where he's at. And you hear some popping. I think it's because he recorded it with XOR, and I know I'm getting that popping issue with XOR too. There he talks a little splash screen here, explaining that he's using Graphic Express, a BNP viewer by Stuart Wisk Elephant. And of course, he's using DC characters. And he mentioned the game will not be for commercial use. No copyright infringement is intended because he's using a fair number of characters that are copyrighted. Sound coming through too? Yeah. Or a splash screen. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Excelsior. Oh, wait, wrong company. Not anymore. I think they've all cross licensed everything at each other. And that was uh, for the audio listeners. It just showed a list of the DC characters that are supporting the game. I think there's 16 of them, and you get to pick which one. I think he's only got the Superman graphics done right now, so that's who we picked. Here's the uh, loading progress bar screen with a bit of description of what's what you're supposed to be doing in the game. Sort of like ghost things are coming in uh, into an ancient Egypt exhibit. I'll just quote a little bit. His hand momentarily becomes solid as he grabs the museum's most prized exhibit, the jeweled necklace of Amun. And here you start level one in Midway City. But the, the graphics actually for the characters are quite detailed. Like the Superman actually looks pretty good. You can see like the musculature and shading and stuff too. So it's actually, it looks pretty good. Now it's a little bit slow and it is faster than it was the previous demo he released. But you're, you're, once again, this is written in BASIC using the Graphics Express uh, library to speed things up. And that uh, I, I don't know if that's the slight flicker he's talking about there. I think that might be the capture. But here he's using his heat vision and stuff, and uh, he can fly. So he's got some animated of the cape and stuff. So the, all this stuff's been added since the last demo he did. And the uh, bad guy is firing bullets at him. And, But full background masking and stuff, too, which you often don't see in basic games. Since we don't actually have a real sprite hardware. And doing the masking in basic itself with get put buffers is a little slow. <laughs> anyway, that's about enough as I'll play there. But um, he's also asking for any tips and tricks because he was hoping to maybe uh, use the CBASIC 3 compiler. I think Wasachware also did a ML basic compiler for the Coco 3 as well. Um, I took a brief look at the manual when I had a little bit of time. I didn't get a chance to check it extensively, so I don't know if anybody here's used the C Basic 3 compiler. 
But is there an option for it to compile as um, position-independent code? Because if that's the case, then you should be able to compile little routines or something as ML and then you know just you know adjust the clear statement to shift it up to where you got room. And you should be able to throw it in there and actually be able to call it the main basic program and call Graph Express and call that routine. So um, I don't know if it has that capability. Maybe it's all fixed address type stuff. I have no idea. I've never really used the C Basic 3 compilers. Has anybody here on the panel used any of the Cocoa 3 basic compilers? Much at all? Anybody? Anybody? Big, big no. I know Nick doesn't because he he just writes assembly perfectly with no errors. So he doesn't try about it. Bug free, yeah. One day I'll see a bug. <laughs> then I'll know what you're talking about. Now, Sixty's <laughs> mentioning someone can draw. Yeah, the shapes are quite well done. I don't know if he digitized those from somewhere or if he's drawn them himself on a PC and then ported them using that BMP importer. Um, I will also mention uh, for Tier City uh, Retro Programming, the YouTube channel that's doing a couple games like that, Tales of Suburban stuff here. Uh, Jim's actually the main other guy besides myself that does comments on his videos and uh, gives him suggestions stuff too. And we're still trying to get a hold of him to get him on the show and also to join our Discord because like, he always has questions and he keeps saying like the Coco can't do this and the Coco can't do that. And it's like, uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> it's just not not through Tandy maybe, but there's a lot of third-party stuff that you can get access to. But uh, we'll see if we can get that going. Anyway, it looks really good. I'm I'm glad he's got it a bit sped up. The graphics look nice and detailed. He's got some nice little animations in there. Um, game's definitely progressing. He's definitely hitting that memory wall, though, with, with Graphics Express because it, it eats a chunk, a pretty big chunk of RAM. Next up, I think, Nick, you're the one who found this one. Um, okay. Episode three, I don't even remember what the series is called, the 80s Home Computer Invasion, which actually covers a bunch of uh, machines, mostly in the UK that came out. So that covers some American machines that came out there as well, like the VIC-20 and the Commodore 64, et cetera. But it was basically kind of a a go-through game-oriented, definitely, of the various 8-bit machines that came out in the early 80s in the UK, and one of them was the Dragon. So I'll just play a quick little clip of that. You can watch the whole thing because it kind of goes in chronological order from 1980. So it covers like the uh, ZX80, then the ZX81, and um, you know the Spectrum, the C64, the VIC-20, etc. This is the video I think we've shown before where they're interviewing some of the people at the actual Dragon uh, headquarters in Swansea. So when are shopkeepers going to be able to start taking delivery of dragons again? Well, shopkeepers are receiving deliveries at the moment. Uh, the only thing that I am not accepting now are orders guaranteed to, for delivery prior to Christmas because the, those orders are already in. What do you see as the advantages your computers have over their rivals? Uh, we see it as an easy machine with plenty of space available in the form of its 32K RAM, a number of useful facilities like the graphics and the sound, and a very simple basic, which is a worldwide standard, which means that they can access software from other sources quite easily. What do you think we need to do to keep ahead in this field? Uh, keep an opinion of what the customer really wishes to buy, and obviously there is a need to keep redesigning and bringing new uh, discoveries or new modifications into the machine as frequently as possible. So then the, uh, after that, because on the other uh, 
other computers that are mentioned the on Dragon here, Camp he usually has and Dragon 64 are home computers that were built in the 19. 19- he usually has like ads, like commercial TV the commercials, that stuff that were published. But I don't, if, I've never seen Dragon an actual Dragon 32 advertisement that would have been on TV. And Sixie, correct me if I'm wrong in the chat. I don't think there was one. They were also situated. They were advertised in magazines mostly. And also in the U.S. market by Taino of New Orleans, Louisiana. The model numbers reflect the primary difference between the two machines. This this game does good use of the uh, kilobytes of RAM, respectively. Three colors. Dragon yep. Data introduced the Dragon Thirty. But then they do silly things like this. Wow. Resolution display yep. mode. Went too far. But limited graphics. Which is the Coco artifacted version of Donkey King. That's not at all what it looked like in an actual dragon. No. Just, so, a few just mistakes. As well. Just as well he did show that. Yeah, this looks a lot better bad. than the black and white one. Yeah. Now, Sixy's mentioning in the chat here, he said, the only dragon ad I ever saw was the Spanish Eurohard one with the Smash robots on TV. So, it looks like the original Dragon Data in Port Talbot and Swansea uh, did not do TV commercials, just magazine ads. And then when it moved to Spain, it sounds like that's when they actually did some uh, TV commercials. <laughs> Sixty says, we played in black and white and we liked it. <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what I used to do. Excuse me. Can I interrupt for a minute, please? Yeah. All right. Now, everyone knows that uh, I do things more than just uh, um, the cocoa. And among other things. And if you can make me big for a second. Oh, you want me to stop sharing? There's Joe. Hey, guys. This is Chris uh, from Retro Tech. Chris, how's it going? And he is a very, although he's not into the Cocoa himself, he mostly gets into old PC stuff. Yeah. He is very, he pushes the Cocoa Nation show quite a bit. Absolutely. Anytime I can. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much for that. Course. It's an honor to be on here with you for a minute. I'm yeah. surprised you stay awake long enough to promote us uh, if you're watching <laughs> us. So. Might change your mind after today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he, he's he's a good uh, front man for us because he doesn't watch the show. <laughs> oh, there you go. You have so, a tandy or two. So, so he can say how great the show is and not, he, he's like a, uh, a computer salesman. He doesn't show that he's lying. Not technically lying. Yeah. I do watch from time to time. I do. I do pop in, but uh, I am pretty much a one-trick pony with my IBM PC compatibles and a stray Nabu that showed up at the house. Now, does that does that include the Tandy One Thousands? Just out of curiosity, I've got a Tandy One Thousand HX and SX. Yes, or a TX, okay. not an SX, a TX. Yeah, yeah, love them. Great machines. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see, people people of different cultures can get along. Oh, come on. <laughs> hey, I hope he's got, got one of the smartwatch modules for the Tandy 1000. Yeah, I got a smartwatch plus from uh, Derek Osborne, Cybernetic Systems. Great stuff. Yeah. Yep. So. Sure do. Absolutely. Actually, both Tandys have one. <laughs> so. Are you guys both going to be at uh, VCF Midwest? Absolutely. Yeah, all yep. booked and ready to go. So uh, hopefully some of you guys will be there too. We'll get to uh, catch up and chat. Oh, I'm I'm planning on being there if possible. Okay. Yeah. David Ladd's David Ladd, okay. Curtis. Curtis, okay. Um me. Yeah, I won't be able to make Midwest Ken well there. Oh, Ken, yeah. yeah. Ken, I just yeah. saw you got back from Boat Fest. I plan to do that next year. So yeah. Yeah. Yep, I'll be going too. Oh, awesome. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Well, there's a reason not to go if Grant's going. No, I'm just kidding. 
Hey, hey. <laughs> well, I guess well, I can spend the too. weekend avoiding Grant. Yeah, there you go. You know what? When you hang out with me, it's a true party. But when you hang out with Curtis, it's a boring fest. That's why everybody falls asleep <laughs> with him. Yeah, that's why I prefer to hang out with Grant because he doesn't mention OS9 every third sentence. <laughs> I don't either. I, I mentioned nitrous nine every 10 seconds. That's what I do. So cool. There's a difference. Good to see everybody. I got my family waiting in the car. We're just in a little PS2 model 30 drop off here. So uh, then uh, head, heading up to uh, uh, a little further north. So yeah, it's yeah. work. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going PC. <laughs> <laughs> it's work. Honest. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Hey, well, thanks for thanks for stop by. Yeah, great to see it's you. Cool. Hey, hey what's this? What's his uh, you what's sure? his YouTube channel? Uh, Retro Tech Chris. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Yep. All right. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Yep. Very cool. All righty. All right. See you guys. Okay. See you. Take care. Bye. Okay. Back to Curtis. Yeah. So anyway, it goes through a couple of games, a couple of pretty, pretty decent ones, uh, some cross-platform ones like the Chucky Egg you saw earlier on, a few, you know, little mistakes there of using the, the Cocoa Artifacted ones, which I guess technically would run on a Tano Dragon, as some people have mentioned, or Tano. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's well, one they said, you know, you did well the first year or two and didn't do too well after that. It, it would work if you had a Tano Dragon. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh. Okay, I've got to listen. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a strain there because you're <laughs> busy sucking all your time and brain power out doing Neutroid for the, what is it, the 17th time now? I can't remember. Anyway, it's a pretty good video you found there. So how did you, you stumble? Have you watched the previous two episodes of this? I'm just wondering, did you cover the 70s before this? Or what? I, I didn't get a chance to check the channel because I've been busy with work this week. I haven't, I haven't watched uh, any other episode, no. Okay. Okay, so on the next one, uh, this was posted as a link from the Dragon Group in Facebook. Uh, you'll see this is the Amiga Forever page. Uh, but this is a game uh, Christopher Lee's posted about, and what he's doing is he's writing another text adventure game based on the Infocom engine. Now, we had another guy on. I can't remember if it's the same guy or not. A year or two ago that had created another Infocom game that was cross-platform, and it sold everywhere from digital download only all the way up to a professionally full-color box art and you know on floppy disk and the whole bit. So this is a new one he's, he's planning on making here that's going to be called The Forgotten Pyramid. And uh, he was just asking, like, what platforms are interested in it to make, you know, it worth his while to create, you know, the special discs and boxes, et cetera, for actually manufacturing it. He does have plans, as he mentions here. It will run on the Amiga, the VIC-20, if you have the full 35K RAM, C64, C128, the PET, the Plus 4, the BBC Micro, Apple II, Atari 8-bits, Atari ST, Classic Macintosh, MS-DOS, Windows, MSX1, MSX2, Sam Coupe, uh, ZX Spectrum, uh, TN9948, Tier City Color Computer, Tier City Model 3 and 4, and he was asking about the Dragon as well. And he's actually got, I won't read it all here on the on the screen, you can actually hit the uh, Dragon group on Facebook to get the link to it, but basically he's got a description here of what the premise of the game is, and some pretty nice artwork for the cover here. Um looks like it's I like I, when i read the title i thought it was going to be the egyptian pyramids and no he's actually doing like mayan pyramids in, in central and south america so interested to see where the plot will be for that one but anyway if you guys are interested in doing text adventure games like we we're discussing earlier possibly doing on on the uh, game on challenge this might be a brand new one to try once it gets released yeah sign me up <clears throat> i want one now cool i've actually climbed that pyramid so that's on my bucket list 
<laughs> Probably won't happen. That whole site is amazing. Make the time. Next up, this is a channel I'd not seen before called Expert Tech, and that's spelled X-P-E-R-T-E-K on YouTube. And it's a fairly new channel, I think. Um, well, basically, it's in Spanish. I'm not sure if he's in Spain or if he's somewhere in the Americas or where it's actually originating from. He's got a Coco 2, though, and he's actually playing some third-party games and some uh, Tandy games. Like in this case here on the screenshot, you can see he's doing Downland with the actual cartridge. And this is the original label, so this is the one that's not compatible with the Coco 3. Um, the odd thing is he's uh, running his Coco 2 on a composite Magnavox monitor, but it's an amber monitor, so all the games are in amber. <laughs> Hola. And I turned on the auto-translate so you can kind of see what he's saying here. And he does a variety of videos, not just Coco stuff, but I thought of Westport. Do you ever want to see what uh, Downland looks like in, in amber composite? Once YouTube catches up. Shockingly, I've played this game in these colors. At least this is a game that it's not critical. But there's other games like Pac-Man, like if you're switching between a blue ghost and a red ghost, for example, in artifact colors, it doesn't look any different, really. So some games just wouldn't work. Was that uh, Ron? It's a pretty clean picture. Yeah. I mean, the composite actually did well. I mean, that's what I yeah. used for word processing and stuff because it just looked better than RF, but losing the composite colors. This is what the Dragon people went through, I guess, because they had a better quality picture than we did too, but it was all in black and white or right. green. Yeah, this image on one of those yellow Amdex with the physical screen over the screen for contrast enhancement, beautiful. He just needs that cardboard cutout to uh, chop out the border. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a pretty good explanation of the game. I'll just show you screenshots from the other ones. So we did Grand Prix, uh, Morocco Grand Prix, which is by uh, Mr. Lustig that he did for Computerware before he started his own company. Um, later in 1983, he did another one. I remember this one here. It's uh, fairly detailed graphics on the cars where the sound gets pretty annoying pretty quick. And... The dying part really is aggravating. You have to do that spin out on the side there. But if you're good enough at the game and you get far enough, you actually get like a night driving where it restricts the vertical view of you've got. You've got ice and uh, country roads. So on the country roads, your car bounces back and forth a little bit, so you have less control to dodge cars. And when you get the ice part, of course, everything, you, you when you're driving left to right, you spin or you, you drive like two to three times faster because you're sliding on ice. So it gets pretty challenging later on. And it's obviously based a bit on Monaco GP from the arcade. And the other one he did uh, was another Tomics, just like the uh, Wireless yeah, Mutants, uh, called uh, Cuber. And he's actually running on real hardware. Man, this is not uh, faked at all, of course. Oh, I could tell from that floppy drive in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't just the main one? Simulated? I'm just letting this play for David's benefit. Somebody has to tell him he doesn't have to type that other code in there. I don't think we've done this one for the challenge or Morocco GP, actually. So there are a couple of suggestions. Anyway, 
Um, if you know anybody that uh, speaks Spanish, I mean, you can turn the closed captioning on, obviously, and then read it in English. But for any of our Spanish-speaking viewers there, if you want something that's in your native tongue, that's a good channel. It looks like he's uh, piled like three Coco games in the last week. So if he keeps going and looking at the discs images that he durs on the screen, he's got a ton more games to go through. So I imagine he'll be hitting quite a few. I even saw one or two that looked like they might have actually been originated in Spanish. Now, I don't know if that's somebody patched a game you know, to change the text or if there's some original games that we've never seen before written in Spanish. So I'm kind of curious. I'll keep an eye on his channel. Next up, and this is a two minute and 25 second video. I think I'll just kind of play it through because it's kind of interesting. Um, we've seen some of these things before where other people on YouTube have put, you know, the original cassette cases with the really nice artwork from the dragons up. What he's done here, though, is he's made these into pairs, and he's actually called the video Pairing Dragon 32 Games. And this is, uh, Alan, can you pronounce that uh, YouTube page handle? Nope. Kikikomori style or something like that. Um, but basically what he's done here is he's, he's displaying two of the cassettes at a time, and this is the cassette covers with the artwork, but they're related somehow. So sometimes it's the clone of the same arcade game or it's the same genre. Um, so this first one here has got Scramble and Tubeway Army, for example, which are both Scramble clones, the Atomics one, and then one that was unique to the UK. And I have no idea this copyright music, so I'm just going to kill it. And here he's called Up Platform. So these are where you have to crawl up on the platformers. He's got Legit, which is one of the ones that we saw briefly on the uh, history of the 80, early 80s computers there before the previous video. And then Cuthbert in the Mines. I'll just play a couple of them, but you can check the rest out uh, directly on the link. Um, these are tank-based games. He's got Rommel 3D. Um, and then he's also got uh, 3D Side of Attack. Uh, which are both kind of 3D games, too. I guess you could have picked 3D or Tank as his genre. And I'll do one more just to show. These ones involve fowl, birds. <laughs> so it's Chucky Egg because of the chicken, and then uh, Folly Farms Chicken Run, which I don't know if I've seen that one before. And it's got a, chick, a ticked-off chicken with its butt aimed at your face and an egg underneath it. So I don't even know what this game is about. Kind of scared to look. Indeed. <laughs> kind of scared to look <laughs> I'm sure Sixy might have seen it though and he'll mention it now Sixy also said in the chat here um, and Tubeway Army was sold in Tandy shops so that was actually sold in the Tandy stores that uh, Tandy owned for the Coco so that's kind of cool I did not realize that anyway you can go check it out the links are, of course on the show notes that you can find on the discord Concept and the last, of, of course, are good. I was going to say, just the concept of a chicken blasting eggs at me is something I've never really thought about before. <laughs> I'd be okay as long as I have a frying pan handy. Well, I mean, <laughs> the previous video was entertaining. <laughs> just just remember, it was here on Coco Nation. You saw it here first. <laughs> for a second, yeah. anyway. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this, this here, this last gaming story <clears throat> is something I think I missed when it actually happened. So, um, Sloney Soft has been putting out games for a ton of retro 8-bit platforms and even some 16-bits there, too. And uh, Paris Rot, same person that converted Asteroids RX from the Spectrum, has been 
converting some of these games over to the Coco and Dragon as well. And this was a game called Janky Joe and Retro Hell. And uh, I've got the link right here for the Tier City Coco and Dragon versions of the game, but there's a bazillion different platforms you can get it on. And this one was converted over, I believe, in April of this year um, from the Spectrum version originally. But there's, like I said, tons of others. It, it looks like an interesting game. I've not had a chance to try it. It's free. There's no payment. You just go to HIO and just download it. If you want to contribute to some money to the authors, you can. But basically, I'll just read the brief description he gives here. It says, for reasons unknown, Janky Joe is about to jump out of a helicopter and into a whole world of trouble. Join our hero as he enters the haunted arcade to play through janky interpretations of retro classics and rescue the trapped souls of those who have dared enter before. Uh, the game is made using Jonathan Caldwell's MPAGD, which I think is part of the AGD engine that uh, the Spectrum has that pairs converted 270 games for to the Coco and Dragon. Um, special thanks to Bruce, Bruce Groves and the wonderful online community for all the help. And I've actually watched a few of this. Like, there's a lot of uh, versions of this, or a lot of videos of the Spectrum version of this up on YouTube. You can take a look. But they're borrowing from classic arcade games and classic home games of, of the early 80s. So the bottom one here is kind of like a kind of a restricted version of Donkey Kong. So you got the grill up in the corner, you got barrels coming down, ladders, etc. I don't remember what this one here is. It might be uh, pipes. Right, Mania. But the top one here is the Hunchback game that's also on the Dragon. So every screen you go through is basically referencing a different arcade or a different home computer game from that era. And there's lots of these screens to go through. And you get to see a whole bunch of... It's, it's like a retro... It's like a nostalgia game almost because you're, you're, you're basically playing like mini versions of all these different games as one big game that you're going through. So it looks pretty intriguing to me. So this is something I would suggest, especially since it's a freebie. And I don't think any of us have seen it before. Correct me if I'm wrong, I've seen any of you guys have, but that might be an interesting one to throw into the uh, mix for the uh, Game On Challenge here because that's uh, it looks pretty Most interesting. Definitely. Already downloaded it. Oh, good. You give us a review next week then. No, we're all going to play it. So don't don't <laughs> just put it on me. Well, I got to put it on you for now because we've already got the games picked out for next week. So. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Anyway, it looks really cool. Um, it's, uh, like I said, massively cross-platform. So if anybody wants to try it on some of the other machines and maybe report back in what the differences are, uh, converting it from the Spectrum, we basically lose the uh, color attribute blocks that uh, the Spectrum has. So it's basically just a P-Mode 4, 256 by one i 2 two-color game. But pretty pretty detailed graphics and like a lot of nostalgia in there if you're into the arcade games. So I'm really curious on that one. So that is it for the game on news do we want did you want to play the intro for the other one regular news mark or should i just when you want the latest in trs 80 tandy dragon mc10 and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, <laughs> I wish I was as far as the show is concerned, but. <laughs> oh, don't let me share yet. I uh, don't know why. Okay, let me try it You're again. You're the only one sharing. 
Oh, there it works. I don't know why it just said can't share first time. Okie dokie. So, uh, first one up, TSA Retro Programming did a, uh, a longer video for him. Most of his videos are fairly short. Um, this one's almost three quarters of an hour. On the law of sine, so he's kind of going through some math using sine and cosine and figuring out hypotenuse and stuff. So it's kind of a tutorial slash educational slash thing. So you can you know input and figure out you know how to draw the proper triangle using all the sine and cosine calculations, etc. Which I won't bother playing there because that's a bit intellectual for our show. <laughs> um, but if you want to actually learn a bit about that, and he's kind of like ty- typing it in and figuring out the code as he's going, as he usually does. So it's kind of a learning experience, kind of like uh, Alan was mentioning with that uh, semi-language book. So it's a nice little tutorial video if you want to learn how that whole thing works, if you forget your basic geometry, which I have. And the second one he released here is just a quick little update to Tales of Suburbia, um, where he mentions in the uh, title that basically he's almost done the game now. There's no commentary. This little clip here is just that he's he's flushed out the graphics for the kitchen scene and added a bunch of things. We kind of showed one, I think, last week or two weeks ago, uh, but he's added a few more things in there, so I'll just play a little bit. Anyway, he's got this little thing where he plays a little bit of music between each room. But you can see he's added, like, you know, a whole sink and cupboards and a oven and a refrigerator and a bunch of other things. And you can actually interact with some of the stuff in the game, too. So uh, it sounds like that game's getting close to release. And he's got a couple other projects going, too. Uh, next up, we've got Simon. Now, Simon, I think, had to leave. He's not on the call anymore. Is that correct? No, he's okay. left. Okay. So he uh, put up a quick video using XOR, but he, this has been tested on real hardware and works as well. And uh, basically, it's to show uh, doing mode changes and special timing tricks to get smooth scrolling on the regular old text screen on a VDG chip. Now, I think Sixy's actually done some stuff here using graphics screens. He's got some demo programs on his site that does the same type of effect on the graphics mode. But this is just showing it on the text. So it's a little bit of a basic driver, and then it kind of kicks into the actual machine language routine, but you'll have to see the, uh, the effect it has. You can see some smooth scrolling here, and it's kind of scrolling the lines up. So there's some pretty cool effects you can do. And I know Sixy was experimenting, or was it Stuart Orchard? We're experimenting with a uh, a shooter scrolling platform game, or not platform, but a scrolling shooter game, kind of like Xevious or something like that, using uh, the PMO4 graphics with that same type of thing, and actually having sprites flying across on it. I think it's Sixy has it on his site. X, uh, where the XOR site is. Next up, we have an update from uh, Ron Klein on the Cocoa Pie project. Um, I'll just read the, the opening paragraph. I'm going to read the rest of it. You can actually check out the CocoaPie.com, Cocoa-Pie.com site to get the full details. But basically what he's saying here, as some of you know, there has not been an update for MAME on Cocoa Pie since version 0.254. Now, I have no idea what version MAME is at right now, if anybody here knows. 0257. Okay, so three versions behind. <clears throat> and he goes, this is because it no longer compiles successfully on 32-bit systems, buster-based, I'm not sure what that means, uh, for the Raspberry Pi. It fails with something in the 7-zip libraries, and no amount of tinkering has helped. I'm not the only one having this issue. Mizpaf on Atari Age forums maintains the code for the TI-994A driver and noticed this issue as well when he was compiling for 32-bit ARM and Raspberry Pi platforms. He came to the same conclusion Ron did, which was to move on to the latest Raspberry Pi OS Bullseye and to 64-bit. 
And you can read more about the findings, and there's a link to the Atari age there. But basically, it sounds like unless some miracle happens, uh, you're basically going to be requiring 64-bit version of MAME on anything past this point. Um, so this is more accurate for uh, a Coco because it's orphan now, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, this affects the, the Raspberry Pi projects. If you have the older Pis that can only run 32-bit, of course, um, MAME's not the only emulator. He mentions you can run OVCC, et cetera. Uh, Tier City GP is another one that has Cocoa 1 and 2 options now. He's planning on adding uh, Cocoa 3 later, but it also supports all the Tier City black and white models. Um, so anyway, you've got other options you can do on the Pis. Uh, just be aware that as he's converting everything over to 64, which actually gives some performance in increases as well, uh, that... Uh, 32-bit will no longer work with main. You'll, you'll have to use a 64-bit. So my pie is going to be moldy. No, the nope. uh, pie 3 and the pie 4 both support 64-bit mode. And recent updates to both Debian 10, that's what the buster means mm -hmm. that Raspbian is based on. And then now Debian 11 and 12, which just came out uh, last month. Um, they support 64-bit kernels with 32-bit user spaces, and I believe they're now moving that entirely to 64-bit because upstream operating systems like um, Ubuntu, and so they're starting to drop all 32-bit support. And so package right. maintainers for libraries and things are, they're just, it's all falling apart because 32-bit is, you know, no one... No one really needs that anymore for PCs and even Raspberry Pis now have more than four gigs of RAM coming with some models. So you can actually take advantage of 64-bit for bigger memory spaces and things. So the world is just moving on and this is a consequence of it. And so it sounds like 7-Zip is the first library that broke in this case, but there are others that, that are starting to in, in other industries and things. So just get used to it. But if you have a Pi 3 and a Pi or a Pi 4, you should be able to use the 64-bit versions of um, Buster, Bullseye, and now Bookworm, which is Debian 12. And Debian's uh, operating system code names are based on the names of the toys from the Toy Story series of movies. So <laughs> Buster is one. Bullseye was another. Bookworm, of course. So uh, So that's what that's about. But uh, I, I find it ironic that the the, the pies, which are kind of like the hobbyist computer of, of the modern time, like our was were part of that that group in the in the early eighties, um, is now being obsoleted at thirty two bit. Yet we're still using our eight bit machines forty years later. Right? Yeah. That's the whole premise of our show. <laughs> if you have a thirty two bit only pie like the pie one and pie two, they they still work and do and all that fun stuff too. So I mean, yeah, they're they are becoming retro and vintage now. <laughs> well, the problem with the older pies is no one really works on a pie for the pie's sake. It's right. the, the the object, the conclusion. The, no one cares about a 32-bit pie other than it worked at the time. So you're right. Move on. Yeah. The, the bare metal folks in Raspberry Pi, um, uh, in my case, for example, I find it easier to work on the Pi 1 because the hardware interfaces were a bit easier to get at for for some of the things like GPIOs. So for some for some programming, some bare metal stuff, uh, the older pies are actually still better. 
Um, they're they're catching up with the newer pies for stuff like that. But in main, most people want to run some some sort of you know Linux ish operating system or Risk OS, uh, you know, and then do Python labs and things like that on them. And that's all just moving on. So uh, the kind of the mm-hmm. Linux world is up or out. You either upgrade or you get out. Yeah, and I mean Windows and Mac have already done this years ago. So I mean Linux held on as long as they could. Well, sounds like that pie's been eaten. It's time to move on. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so next up we have Brendan Donahue, fresh off of being at, uh, which was the VCF in Fort Worth? Uh, south, 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 west. Southwest? Okay. Couldn't remember if it was just south or southwest. Okay, so, thanks for showing this, Curtis, so some of us could see him. This is what I was looking <laughs> So fresh off that, there's the classic game fest in Austin, Texas. Now you you didn't get a chance to go, Alan, or did anybody else on the panel get a chance to go? I, I did not get a chance to go this year, but I have been to previous ones, and um, it, it's amazing. Was a blast of a time. I got to meet um, one of the original programmers and project directors for Atari back in the heyday of the 2600, and go through his lecture about everything that went on um then and since including he's the guy that wrote the stella bible so there's uh some pretty cool stuff that happens at this particular show as well as the opportunity to spend far too much money <laughs> well, that's like pretty this stuff right here see that little guy that mc10 standing up on his side that's what you want that's yeah. not in, in door holding mode so get that out of your head <laughs> no, you can oh, see it's got the spacer for the upgrades that uh, Brendan's been doing, like the joystick right. and the keyboard port. You can see he's plugged in, so he's actually running. It looks like a almost like a Mac keyboard or something on there. Yep, that's the uh, Pi key on and with the stand there to also hold it vertically. And the joystick's plugged in too. Yep. Yeah, and then you can see a Coco One, probably an F board, judging by the position of the Radio Shack label. Playing popcorn. So he put up a few of the photos here, so we'll kind of go through here. Playing on the MC10, this is one of Paul Shoemaker's uh, games, one of his poker ones. There's uh, Brenda, I forget his daughter's name. Why am I pulling a blank on that? Maybe that's kind of showing off their booth. You can see Sheldon McDonald's Treasure Island Defense on the Coco One on the right. Um, I don't see a cartridge in there, so I'm guessing that's just the raw disc or drive wire version, not the one with the extra hardware for playing the sound and stuff in the background, because he has made versions for the PSG, etc. And the GMC, too, I think. He's also played my VG6 pictures that I've done. and um, Yeah, I think he did uh, both shows he was at. Yeah, and I appreciate that. He's It's nice of him to do that. Uh, they make a really good demo for the Coco VGA and what the point of it was. Because uh, yep. <laughs> you don't have to get into the technical stuff of how weird the VDG is at all. You can say, oh, look, and with the Coco VGA, you can also do all this. And here comes the Ron pictures. <laughs> yeah, look, right? uh, it's such a great demo. Now, from looking at this, this photo here, Alan, uh, like you can see on the left here, it says retro TV art. So I'm guessing this is a gaming expo, but beyond computer and, and video games. Like oh, yeah. Case. There's tons of console and everything game related that is like card so, games i'm assuming like the Ga- magic the gathering yeah, and it's mostly electronic based games so you have pc games you have consoles you have tv games you know everything from the magnavox and pong on up but there's some 
like tabletop board game card game stuff, but not as much as you would expect. That, that yeah, because I'm just getting judging by this photo there. the far left there. There's no electronic anything going on there, right? It's just, but it's yeah. but the artwork is of electronic game things, and a lot of ah. people do things like bead art where they they do recreate um pixel art from games using physical objects like beads or whatever. So there's a lot of game related memorabilia and swag and and just fun stuff and just tons and tons of you know cartridges and cables and add-ons and all the kinds of things that go along with this as well. So yeah, yeah game It looks like a pretty art. good size show too, judging by some of these pictures Dude. here. How big the Yeah, it is a, a huge and very packed. That's that's exactly what it looked like when I went before COVID too. But this will be Jackson. You can you can tell it's a Texas show. How do we hold this tripod together? Here, use my hat. Yeah, hold my hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick, you're originally from Texas, aren't you? Yeah, I would have been all over this 20 years ago. Oh, it's totally worth it. My wife was going to have a, a booth for this, but we ended up having reality get in the way and weren't able to actually um, vend at the show. Right. And this year is uh, Brendan's booth again. And this time they're playing Gantlet, the original Coco One and Two One uh, by Dicom. Um, I don't know if they're playing the six three nine optimized version. I'll have to ask Brendan. Well, that would mean he had a sixty three oh nine in that F board. Yeah, I have one in mine. That's the only way to roll. And we've got some people actually trying out Coco stuff here. She got a snazzy shirt on too. <laughs> this looks like some apples it looks like on the yeah there's a mac g4 here that's an apple what is that a three and some imac the old uh one kind of duplicating the character from alexo from pixar that's a 2gs looks like an apple 2c oh the 2gs not a three okay yeah it's 2gs is that popcorn yep you betcha steve york's popcorn Um, here's one of the Inafudu games running on the MC10. And that was Batlot. Which is actually one of the cooler ones. I don't think we've played that on the challenge yet either. There's a game we did cover on the challenge. This is the MC10 version running. So Paul Shoemaker's uh, Ghost Rush, I think the original version. MC10 crack. <laughs> <laughs> No Joe Pad required for that one. Uh, this is uh, Sheldon's. Yeah, so this is uh, Sheldon's later game. I think the last Coco game he released so far because he's been working on Genesis stuff recently. But uh, that's the uh, Coco Three only vertically scrolling hockey game. Yeah, it's called Ice Callers. Now, does that only come on cartridge, or does that a download uh, too? I think it's. I think it was up on his uh, on his page. Okay. I haven't actually had a chance to try it yet, so. That's showing off their booth of the Pi key on the left for the MC10 and then Coco VJ on the right. Which hopefully that should, this will start getting manufactured again because it sounds like the chip shortage is over, though it sounds like the prices might still be pretty high. So I know he might be waiting for that to come back to normal. You're, you're nodding, Nick. You, you kind of looked into this, or Rick? Yeah, things are coming back, but as you say, all in due time. 
Yeah, the Gimme X and the Coco BJ are both waiting for the exact same chip. And there, I think we've covered them all. Well, thanks, Brendan, for posting some photos of that up on the uh, Coco group on Facebook. Next up, uh, Coco Town uh, put out a, a video this week, too. Now, this is actually a, a video on recursion. And then why would you use it in a program and an example, like some, you know, appropriate examples that are actually useful, unlike a lot of the stuff I took in university. Um, and he actually has the the code you can actually take a look at. It's assembly code. And he also shows some pseudo stuff. So one of the examples he gives is like drawing fractals, which you can see at the very beginning of the video when I start playing it. The main thrust of it is, though, is to like, auto-solve a maze. And there's a screensaver that Brian Schubring always runs in the background on his OS9 machine that shows, you know, the same thing. Or it randomly creates a maze and then, ran, you know, solves it and shows you all the backtracking it has to do. And this is use, that uses recursion. And the amount of code it does, you'd think that'd be complicated. Figuring out, you know, is this a dead end? Is this a dead end? Have I been here before? It would be hard. And actually using recursion, it's like dead simple, super small program. So I'll play a little bit of the fractal running at the beginning here. This is a fractal called a Coke snowflake. It is intricately detailed, requiring a huge number of turns to draw. But surprisingly... So that's going through that. And then uh, the maze one here, and he kind of, he does a really good explanation. Like if you want to figure out, you know, the use of doing recursion. Um, so this one here, he just kind of explains, you got all these points and you've got these paths. Some are, don't go anywhere, they're dead ends and others you can actually traverse traverse through and then he actually goes through the explanation but he writes uh the pseudocode to navigate that entire thing that's it that's the entire routine because it uses recursion and then he goes into doing the assembly language version on the 6809 to do this exact same thing and that's the entire routine there there's a little bit above that main thing that just basically calls it. And then basically this just calls itself over and over until it exhausts all the paths. So even in assembly, this is very small routines. And you can do all kinds of neat, interesting things, whether you're drawing fractals or solving mazes or whatever else. It's uh, Now, is it the most optimized speed-wise? Probably not. It can use a lot of stack space if you have a huge maze because it's going to be pushing its previous positions on the stack continuously. So you have to make sure you have enough stack space. But as far as the programming goes, it's like, you know, almost nothing to it. So it's a really good informative video if you want to learn one, learn how to write a, a maze solver and then also learn how recursion works at the assembly language level. I highly recommend it. If you're learning assembly language, you can, you can pair it up with the book that uh, Alan was talking about earlier. And here's this kind of explanation. It's a full source code, so that's the entire program, including the main calling routine. And then some explanations of exactly what, what it's doing. So he goes that through that in the video very, very well. We also have an update from Paul Thayer on his shmup you up. Now, this is a longer one. Normally, he's been doing these little quick demos, like showing you know graphics and showing sound routines. So in this case here, he's actually going through the game development part of it. And he's going into the assembly language programming behind mixing voices, how his FRQ sound routine works, and some of the issues that he's hit. Because now he's starting to merge different channels together. And the way he's got it merging is that the volume starts to drop off occasionally. Um, so it goes in a big explanation. And there's a lot of good comments in the comment section here that I, I won't bother going through. You can just check it out on the, on the Facebook Coco group. Uh, kind of explaining some things. I know, Nick, you responded to it. And then I think um, Paul Fiscarelli responded to it as well. So, you know, some ways to keep the volume up while you're you know, mixing up to four samples at once type thing. 
Um, now I'm trying to remember the last time he played his update. Did he have it working with two samples simultaneously? Because he has the explosion and the laser firing sound, or did he only have the one working? Do you guys uh, remember? I thought he had it with both, but it was taking too much, and he had a, too many triggering at once, or something like that. Yeah, that problem's solved now too. Um, I'll see if I can catch that a little bit. Do a little bit of a long update today. Um, three, at least, probably on the other ones too. The high end of shrooms. Yeah, he's so going into explain the how the six bit samples work where they pre shift. So, um, this game in um, yep, nine nine. So that's gonna be. I probably won't be able to find it here because unfortunately your, they don't have a pop-up sound effects down preview window. And, so that he goes to assembly language code the way he's got his memory map and tasks set um, up. And then you can still hear the f- shots being fired when the explosions go off too. But no slowdowns now, so he's actually got that optimized pretty good. So if anybody has any ideas of how I can add four channels together and then get a louder volume i am all ears bro (laughs) yeah you need this (laughs) (laughs) well that's the easy way (laughs) this is the the orc 180 i'm getting back to and yeah getting all those channels mashed together without messing each other up is hard now nick this is something you've had to encounter in your games program the six-bit deck did you have any tips uh i I gave him some tips about <clears throat> how to add up all the channels, but the volume loss, uh, yeah, is there. I do get that on mine as well. I think there may be ways you can just fudge. You could probably well, do it. Well, Paul Fiscarelli suggested one here, and I didn't know if this was something you'd tried before too. Um, yeah. Find the comment. Because you have to keep track of the number of voices you're playing simultaneously at the same time and then do some adjustments based on that. Uh, yeah. That? To decide how far to do a uh, a, right, a left shift to move the bits uh, into the uh, DAC area, but yeah, the way I see it, I'll, I'll quote what Paul said to you. Um, the way I see it, you can either do this with three copies of each sample, full volume, half volume, and quarter volume, or dynamically change the volume for each sample stored a single quarter volume on the fly, depending on how many samples you are currently playing. Now that will slow down the routine. That's and a, if you're that's mixing four voices yeah. together, I mean, I know one thing Paul did to increase the speed is he actually dropped the sampling rate. So I think he's only using like three and a half or three and three quarter killers, which were yeah. lasers and uh, explosion stuff. He actually had a sample and earlier on, you could hear when you drop it down, you're losing some of the high end on the sound effects on the explosion. It's barely noticeable, but on the lasers, you can hear a difference, but it still sounds good. I mean, if you had heard the first sample, you would know, wouldn't even know there was a difference, right? Yeah. So, and I know that's what, um, Jeremy Spiller did with Xenix because his music and sound routines are running at three and a half kilohertz and that too to free up the extra room for four voice simultaneous. They're all done in software. So um that sounds like you know, if your sampling rate's low enough to be able to do that and give you enough self enough time to mix these samples and adjust the volume based on the number of active samples. So if you're only playing two, you'd shift it up one, you know, up up one to the left for uh, doubling the volume basically, because when you're adding the two together. For a four sample style yeah, routine, yeah. you're going to be losing that high bit completely. So you just halved all your volumes, basically. 
Anyway, it's a, it's a really good video. It's kind of an exploratory thing. He kind of shows you some of the compromises he had to make, what the differences those compromises did. So he's got, you know, stuff running a bit quieter. He's got some stuff where he's lost some of the high-end, uh, high-pitched stuff. On the other hand, the little stutters and pauses he was getting when he gets busy drawing explosions and firing rapid fire while explosions are going on, all that's fixed. So, I, you know, definitely a, a compromise had to be made, and I think he definitely made the right one because now the game just looks buttery smooth again. Um, and you, I mean, explosions aren't that high fidelity. It's just, you know, it's like a lot of games used white noise, just random crap, either from a sound chip or random crap read from the ROM and just thrown at the DAC and without a care in the world as to what actually was in there. So definitely if you're, if you're limiting a semi-language sound routines, especially on the Cocoa 3 with a programmable timer interrupt, uh, you can do it on the Cocoa 1 and 2 using uh, the little trick that Nick has been using lately and Simon's used before of using the IRQ on the uh, H-Sync, but then you're eating literally more than 50% of the CPU time to do it. So you're a bit more limited what kind of a game you could write write to keep the speed up. But uh, really good, uh, kind of almost a tutorial and a learning experience all put together. Okay, next up. Sorry, go ahead. Simon has um, a really cool assembly language sound routine where it's H-Sync interrupt driven, but he uses enough time to where it uses more time than one H-Sync will. That's exactly what Nick's doing too. And that right there gets you back a bunch of CPU time to to use. So, yeah, especially on the Cocoa 1 and 2, because basically you've got 57 CPU cycles per scan line. And because they stupidly tied H-Sync to IRQ instead of FIRQ in the Cocoa line of computers... Yeah, you burn all the uh, cycles. Yeah, you burn 40 cycles just servicing the interrupt. That's like if you just did a straight RTI, pushing all the registers in the stack at the start of the interrupt and then RTI returning them all, you've basically blown three quarters of the time you had. So yep. you've got like 10, 15 cycles left. So talk to Simon if you need that kind of super high speed um, sound. Yeah, basically, you overflow it so that you're t- going into the next interrupt while in the interrupt service routine, you overflow it by at least one cycle. And then you've got the entirety of the remainder of the next H sync, which takes you up to like, you know, you get 50, 58 cycles that you've lost, but you gain 56 uh, to actually do the sound. So you're basically using just a hair over 50%. And that's what Nick's been doing on how many games has it been now, Nick? I think Jumping Joey was done that way. Pipes yeah, was I think done that I way. Did three games. Was it the last three semi graphic games, I think? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you're using that same technique in uh, Neutrode. Um, The greatest game ever, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the sound effects in the new version of Neutrode are much better than any of your previous efforts. Shame about the gameplay. It's pretty good. Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) I should should give a very short demo, but I just did a mod that crashes the program, so I can't (laughs) play it. What? You had a bug? (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. It's not a mod. It's not a bug. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> An unfinished feature. Yeah, he's jumping into code he hasn't written yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, That's Simon cool. Simon did the exact same trick, and it's it's a it's a cool trick. It's uh, it really is a shame that Tandy and Motorola's reference design did not have the sound tied into the FIRQ, the H or the H sync, I should say, tied to FIRQ and V sync on the IRQ because I think they have it flipped, don't they? Or are they both on IRQ? I can't remember. Ah, uh, gee, on the Coco one too. Yeah. But t- tying the, the fastest interrupt source the Cocoa 1 and 2 has to the slowest interrupt, not a smart idea. 
Yeah, and the FIRQ is hooked to cartridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, who cares? Because detecting if there's a cartridge in the slot there, I want to do that 15,750 times per second in case somebody unplugged it really quick. Well, now, all those hardware guys cheat and use that, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Yeah, but it could have been an IRQ or NMI or something, not... not... Yeah, it didn't have to be... Fast yeah, yeah it should, like FRQ should have been reserved for the H-Sync because that is the fastest interrupt generator unless you have an external cartridge with an f- even faster clock chip or something in there. But we're just doing that now. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so this this trick is a really nice compromise because basically at least you get 50% of your speed back. I mean, you obviously won't be doing like four-way scrolling real-time P-Mode 4 games that way with, you know, background music tracks or something. But if you do a game that isn't moving that much on the screen at once, or use a lower res mode so you don't have as much uh, graphics data move around. As 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 uh, Nick has proven with the last three or four games he's been doing, you can actually get a decent arcade game with full stuff in the background, either multi-channel sound effects or even music. Like the pipes, you had music. You had two channels, right? One for sound effects and one for the music? Or is it two for yeah, the music and yeah. one sound effect? I can't remember. Jumping Joey just had it in the music routine. Okay. Anyway. Um, so next up, we got a Jim Gary. This is a non-game related. So this is the latest version of his uh, taking the randomized pseudo maze generation that was originally a Commodore 64 one-liner. And in this case here, he's revised it because he's done this before on the MC10. But this case here, he actually sets it up to run in the 64 by 48 semi-graphic 6 mode. So actually, it's got square pixels, which I know Nick likes, and uh, slightly higher res. So it actually looks a bit more impressive, too. Now, he doesn't scroll here because, you know, he's doing this in BASIC, and BASIC has no idea how to scroll a SG6 screen properly. So I'm guessing that's why he didn't have it scroll. So and it's a one-liner, too, as you saw at the beginning here. So that's, that's the entire program right there. And next up, he did one here for Naomi and Friends. Now, I'm not sure if Naomi's his daughter or granddaughter or friend of the family i have no idea but uh as you have probably heard if you pay attention to social media here uh barbie's been a pretty big movie this last week or two i think it's probably been the most successful opening weekend in quite a while from anything i think it was 155 million so he decided to cash in on the popularity here and he actually made a little mc10 barbie program in basic (laughs) That's basically it. So it gives you a bit of a text screen saying the Terra City MC10 says go. Then he does the kind of the Barbie logo in blue. And then he does a a magenta uh, Barbie head type thing in semi-graphics. Next up, we actually got a fair bit of Dragon updates to do here. So the first few are from Julian Brown. So he's fresh off uh, starting to sell, as we mentioned last week, his Dragon 32 replacement motherboards, version 2.1. And he's already started thinking about what to put in version 3, which will have enhancements. So he's asking some technical questions. And if you're on Facebook in the Dragon group, uh, and you you have any knowledge about this, please respond to him um, for the technical questions. And he wants to add a programmable character set. So this is basically like what the Coco VGA does, where basically you redefine the entire 256 character character set that the vdg would display 
And there is uh, the standard VGGs have a pin on it for external ROMs. That's how the lower kit by Dennis Kits and a bunch of others worked. Um, but he's got some technical uh, things on the PIAs and P2 channels and stuff that, you know, it's getting into hardware I don't understand. Um, basically, you know, asking about it's worth exposing the extra six channels. Can't really use the cartridge port without breaking compatibility, but the opportunity is there through other means. So for you hardware guys, uh, I, I, I can't respond to because it it's you know, like above my pay grade, but uh, please contribute any ideas you have on that. Hang on. You don't get paid anything, so you don't you pay them twice as much. Yeah. Yeah, which means if I if 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 it was worth anything at all, it's above my pay grade because I get paid zero. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then now he's doing kind of the key fix for the dragon. Uh I don't know if you've seen this before, Rick, or not, but uh it's kind of the dragon version of what you're doing. Well, this is different because it uses regular keycaps and key switches. So it's more like the uh, the other keyboards for the Coco, all of whose name escapes me right now. Mark Data? The, all, all of those sorts that, you know. Well, Ed Snyder's as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because basically he's got a picture you can see here of uh, his prototype type thing. And then he actually um, put it in. And then he found out why you need spacers. <laughs> I'll show him the next picture. It's kind of sunken into the keyboard a fair yeah, bit there without the spacers. So low. So I, I joked at him that I said, well, you can kind of consider it a chiclet keyboard now because it's kind of recessed right in the case. But there. <laughs> so did the Dragon already use sort of regular keycaps? Or, or yeah, they, there was two versions. There's an Alps version and uh, that goes the other one. But they've, they've had a full real keyboard right from day one. In fact, it's, okay. it's basically the same as the Mark Data Products keyboard as oh far as keycaps cool. and stuff. That was one of the big advantages of the nice Dragon over the Coco, actually, because at, at this time when the Dragon was released in 82, we still had the Chiclet. Right. <laughs> and we didn't have a real parallel port, which the Dragon did as well. So, I mean, it was actually a bit more like a, a more advanced Coco in some ways. Yeah, parallel. I remember now, the JNM. How much mm -hmm. typing was done to where all the way through the black overshot to the white key underneath? As I recall, those are pretty thick. <laughs> Someone I don't, I don't banged know. that space bar many, 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 many a time. That ain't well, no decal that's worn through. That's a whole it's the any key. It's the fire key. It's <laughs> a space bar. So well, yeah. A is really important too. So <laughs> or teardrop as it looks here, but Right, but that's that's a whole layer of plastic worn away. That's not just a. Detail. I think what he said is he had a bunch of old keys lying around for various things. He just jammed together just to make sure the board worked, <laughs> which is why you can see the top row goes one to seven, then F eight, F nine, F ten oh, instead cool. of the regular number right. keys. <laughs> oh, and those are stickers. One through seven are just stickers. Yeah, they're oh, stickers yeah. to get the right keys on there because the quotes in the right place, the ampersands in the right place. Uh, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, close enough. He's got a he's got a <laughs> sticker for the at as well. I just like the, the the fact that this is a a, a dragon with F twelve keys. Like it just looks super advanced that way. Right. It's a very clean case. Yep, indeed. <laughs> anyway, that's why you need the uh, spacers to lift the keyboard up because otherwise it sinks right in the case. <laughs> well. I can get Neutroid up and running if you want to have a sound. 
just enough. Uh, to... Well, I'm just about done the news, so if you can just hold it off wow. until we're yep. finished here. I just got two things more on the dragon to go through. Hey, the first one is actually a pretty big announcement. It's the uh, Dragon Meetup 2023. The official dates and the place have been announced. So you'll recall from 2022, because that was the 40th anniversary of the Dragon, they actually went and did it in Swansea. And you actually got to go see the old Dragon building if you wanted to as part of that. This year, it's back to the Center of Computer Center for Computing History in Cambridge. Uh, but the meeting this year is going to be on October the 7th to the 8th. And if you're in the Cambridge area during that time, um, as Richard Harding mentions on his post on Facebook, basically all 68 XX computers are welcome. So that adds things like the Alice, the MC10, the uh, Thompson something or other. I can't remember which one it was. Coco one, two, three. Is that? The Thompson MO7. Right. Thank you. I totally blanked it. Or gimmicks or SWTPCs or whatever else. There's uh... So this year's theme should be, okay, now we have Dragon Basic. Yeah. Well, that last year is when they scanned it in, and they didn't tell anybody what it was, really, because um, that's when they got the original source listing, and they, one guy spent the entire weekend at the show scanning every page that we've now seen since. Awesome stuff. I am going to make it to one of these one of these years. I, I promise. Well, Curtis, you better do it before you're, you know. Dead? Well, okay, I wasn't trying to be morbid right off the bat, <laughs> but okay, yes. Uh, maybe I need to go check out our new data center over there. Yeah. Oh, you have one in Cambridge? Or just in uh, the UK near, in general? Near enough. So. As far as they know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know Boat's gone to the Amiga show in, in the UK, and he said it's a blast. Um, so I'm imagining, you know, we've got dragon people that even better because you can meet like Stuart Orchard and Richard Harding and Karen and, uh, maybe you know, even just, Duncan if he goes out. Yeah. Some of the people that worked at dragon have been at these meets the last few years too, that, uh, you know, help create them thing from the scratch. So it'd be like meeting the UK version of Mark Siegel, which some people actually got to do at the uh, VCF Southwest. Anyway, mark your calendars. I'm hoping to get some live reports from them, especially if there's any new hardware software getting announced or being demonstrated. So uh, any of you in the Dragon community that catch this uh, before the show in October, um, if you know of anything happening, if you can maybe link up with us and we'll get you in on the Zoom call and uh, show the show floor like we have in previous years. Show off them dragons. And the last one I got here is from John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics. So he's uh, posted an update to a super RGB package. The final versions of the two to four boards each owner will need are now ordered. He's got the mock-ups on here. You can see what the design was. So depending on how your system is set up, you will need at least two of these four boards. And you may need more. I will read this description here just to hopefully that'll clarify it. Uh, all customers will need the 6847 plug-in adapter and the Super RGB board itself. So that's the two minimum you require. The SAM breakout board and the DIN 8 output board depend on how confident you are at soldering. So obviously I'd need a four if I had a dragon. Uh, a connection to the SAM clock and whether you have a Dragon PSU power supply unit board installed, which already contains the output socket. So for those that are looking to get the RGB output from the Dragon, um, boards are on order. He should have them in shortly, and then they'll actually start making these as kits you can order. 
So this is the uh, super RGB to DIN 8 adapter, the Geo Geo cable, as it's called. That's the uh, 6847 socket. I think that's the SAM socket when he's talking about. And there's the main RG, super RGB board, RGB circuit itself. So oh, look forward to those. NTSC and PAL jumper. Yep. Mm -hmm. Does does he say what that chip is? Is is it an FPGA or? Whatever? I I think he did mention before yeah. when we talked about this project before, but I don't remember. It's not shown in the little mock up here. You also so see that, the clock polarity, which I think actually lets you control the artifact colors, wouldn't it? Oh my! I would be cool. I'd love to have one for my uh, dragon Tano. Yeah, and the fact that it has NTSC and pile means it's basically designed for both, I believe, when I remember from last time we talked about it. I wonder if uh, he's going to do a Cocoa version. Well, isn't the Dragon a little bit different? Because it's got that weird DIN connector for the monitor output, first of all, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, but it'd have to be a different... Just just composite. Things like... Yeah, but the thing is, is if you're already using the... Uh, yeah. 6847 socket and the SAM socket. Why couldn't you just, you know, yeah, just take across? it straight out? Yeah. That's is true. <laughs> hey, it's good to see John's been very active the last uh, month or two here because, um, of course, he was out for quite a while uh, with his cancer treatments and stuff. And He's been doing well. His health's been keeping up, and he's actually got his store back open again. He's got multiple products in it, not the full, you know, gamut he used to have previous to that. But uh, he's just making sure he's not overtaxing himself, and uh, I think that's the best thing to do. And go that John is all go. I. Sorry, go ahead. Go, John. Go. Keep on fighting the good fight. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's all I got for news. Apparently, Nick is going to demonstrate some. Nineteenth uh, edition of the same game. Well, Come on, Nick. You've <laughs> got to give it to just, us. Just to demonstrate the sound. Um, I won't play the game because uh, I'm I'm running. I'm going to be running. Yeah, we want to stay awake. Um, in so. name. <laughs> so remember, this is uh, the greatest game ever written. <laughs> <laughs> it does have good sound, and actually, your new uh, animations are pretty cool too. I have to. I have to. Admit. Oops, hang on. I've got to stop the. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm using MAME and the silly thing just starts off. Uh, oh, well, Did you share your sound? Because we're not hearing anything. I, 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 I'm I, not a very good MAME operator, and I'm trying to get out of the game now. Oh, how about I just leave it and just, just wait? Everyone has to wait. Just just scroll lock and uh, hit escape. Unless Hang you on. change the defaults. All right. Well, I'm going to have to unshare again so I can uh, get the sound on, don't I? Yeah, if you didn't check the box, it'll uh, stay off. No, I didn't. Okay, let's try it again. Take two. Share sound. Hey. Yeah, well, sound. It's just, it's just starting because MAME's confusing the... Uh... Now, it'll only allow me to hit... Hang on. Bumping everywhere now. It's it not allowing me, me to control it. It's not allowing me to control it. So, yeah, I'm not controlling that at all. Like the reflector, so. Now, there's more sound effects, but if I can't control it, you can't. 
it won't let me get to it. Let me just try and abort. Ah, this is why I hate emulators. Although, mind you, I do use XRAW. Well, can you demonstrate with XRAW, or do you get that popping too much? Well, the sound doesn't work in XRAW very well. Ah. Yeah, so I'm using main so you can... The point is to hear the sound. Oh, we're definitely hearing the, the bumps and... Yeah, but... I, I don't know why it's just running by itself. Uh, main. Oh, see, this kicks off by itself. Pretty uh, cool. Nah. It's, uh, you're not hearing the best bit. It shouldn't be moving so I can control it. It's, it's MAME doing weird things for me. So have you got the MAME controls for joystick enabled or no? No, I don't. I don't. That's a thing. Uh, like if you use the arrow keys, does that work? I'm trying to, but it's not letting me. MAME's not letting me. Mm. See, I don't, I'm not doing that at all. I don't know where it's getting the control. It's just... I hate emulators. Sorry, if I said that before. Thank you. It's like the joystick is active, but it's defaulting. I know, the upper I know. Part, so it's, it's just, just, it's just, yeah. um, right. Every step, it just does something. Yeah, it's not centered. Me, it's just, I will try and run X4. And unfortunately, you won't hear the sound as well. But okay, the just drives me mad. If I don't stop now, someone will get Why? killed. Joke. Just remap and I will share the screen. Best day ever. Hey, see, it's written in basic and everything. Pretty impressive, eh? Yeah, Just that's kidding. right. See? <laughs> <laughs> that's because Nick is so good at coding, he doesn't need to do that silly. Yeah, he can't even thing. get it to load. Look at this. David, help no, no, no. us. It's, this is where I said uh, it's – I didn't know if it would be uh, working, but it will go this way. I can get around it until i got time to fix it, and I've got to slow down. There we go. I'll slow it down. Okay. Now, I'll just bounce the little neutroid in the middle, just a stall, so that you can hear that. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Yes, big lightning bolty thing. That's what it sounds like when I plug in a soldering iron. It, it's a Tesla coil. I can only get two of these before it times out because I'm testing it. It goes to chamber complete. That lightning sound um, is excellent. Pretty cool. But there, I'm trying to demonstrate the sound at this point, not the game. Now that's fairly really similar. Is that the same sound sample used on Zero Hour for its lightning bolts? No, or no, no, okay. different. Uh, I've played it in a while, but it just sounds familiar to me somehow. I thought that was maybe you already got it. Yeah, I, I, I can't use uh, keyboard control to save my life. So, um, well, despite Curtis, it's coming along pretty good. It's not just me, up. man. Ken and a few others have joined in yeah. too. So, here, take her money. I want oh, he's, he, he's made the sound so good that it's, it's like intriguing now. Yeah. Like I said, like I said before, I said, you know, the, the new sound effects Nick's put in here are really good, especially for a Coco 1 and 2 game. Shame about the gameplay. So. All right. Well, 
<laughs> you will eat your words. Yeah. You're really pushing. I won't mind being wrong in this case. It's yeah. even American money, so it's worth a lot. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't control it. Not not without without. See, that's what brought my head with the original Neutroid. Hmm. No, I no, couldn't control it either. <laughs> that's just a pepcak error. Anyway, that's about all I've got. So we'll go back to the uh, the show. So how how closer do you think you are to getting done? Do you do you have a rough schedule? Oh, it is very close. There's, and then I'm very close to the stage of then entering the uh, game testing stage, which means that's when I pass it on to uh, Buck and Taz, like Buck Owens, and and watch him flog it to death. Yeah, well, don't include Taz because Taz's been kind of stealing Buck's thunder lately. So I think and if Sloopy. you get to the both of them, they'll find every bug. And Sloopy. Uh, Sleepy just likes the game. I don't know if he's like that much of a star with it or not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Uh, the president of the Neutroid fan club should get a Neutroid. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, Nick, when you uh, are working on this program, does it give you ideas for a, a new, different one? Obviously well, not. This is his fifth try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've been waiting for you to finish this because someone told me I should tell you a good game idea. Oh, he's already got another game he's supposed to be working on that Ken and I keep pestering yeah. about that he said he would do. So Get to work don't on give him game. any more ideas. He should finish the other one first. And it would be a Coco 3 game. Just to whet people's appetites a bit. And a genre, we have not had a Coco 3 version of a game before, period. Nobody's done one before. Dark mm. Castle? Nah. But I'm not sure if I can do it yet, so that's why I don't want to say anything about it. I'll even that. help you, for great sake. Yeah, I don't want it to know it's nine. <laughs> Space Invaders? <laughs> I've done that. Yep. There's multiple Space Invaders with the Coco 3 already, so nope. I reckon a semi-graphics uh, version of uh, Space Invaders will go good on a Cocoa One. Actually, I have a whole bunch of suggestions if you want if you want some. Yeah, no, I, I, suggestions uh, is not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's one you actually started re redoing a semi-graphics version of. I think you should skip that and do a Cocoa Three version. It's Wizard of War. We don't have one. Yeah, I know that was another one. There's just so many ideas, too many ideas, not enough time. Yeah, was just there... do the one that Ken and I are waiting for. Though that's what you need to do. Well, that, yes, that's the yes. plan. No, we'll do that one next. So I'm trying to get the Neutroid out of the way. Instead of buying another Ferrari with uh, your Neutroid money, why don't you just uh, retire from a regular day job and just become a full-time developer? Th this is Here it my... is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is his full-time job. It's what you get. That's well, all I do now. So. Well, I think you need to do less sleep and let more programming. <laughs> yeah, what's this getting up at three o'clock in the morning just to be on this show? You should be getting up at three o'clock yeah, every know. day to program. Yeah. What, are, what are you doing going to sleep before 3 a.m.? You should be staying up like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Was there ever a game um, modeled around, um, you know, Nitrous 9 being able to use that clear key and go into different screens and like having the game change while you're gone and go back to it and then have to 
know, play a different part of the game and then hit clear and go to another. Not not a, specifically. If you ran a couple games at once, I have done that with stuff like Zone Runner because mm-hmm. Zone Runner, let's say you want to fly from one end of the galaxy to the other, it takes time. So you set the speed, you set the angle, then you go to another window and play Rogue for a little bit while you're waiting for it to get over there. And then you pop no. back over at the clear key and, oh, I'm not there yet. I still got to wait. So I'll play some more Rogue. And then, you know, I've done so that. To, but. to pry in an ad, there's about to be sort of, if you count a web browser as a game, because we're going to be displaying images on a separate screen that you will have to clear key to to see the image. Because well, maybe. I've got ideas yeah. for that. Okay. Oh, well, cool. But still, I mean, there's just not resolution to put a much of an image on the main screen where you're reading the web page. So you'll probably get a thumbnail or an icon or something, then you clear key and there's the big image. Yeah, I can do like a zoom up, click a, click to zoom or something. Right. But you can also scale them too. So, I mean, that's another way, depending on how you want to do it. Well, yeah, we, but we, want all, we want all the things. We want a multiplayer game so that multiple Coco users around the world it's, it's can an, play yeah, the same game at once. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is another reason I've been pestering Gary and Ed. Like, I would really like to see options for double the vertical res on some of the modes on the Gimme X, not just the horizontal, not just the colors. Would that like, change gameplay? Getting a getting a web page when you've got like 400 pixels vertically instead of only 200 would be a pretty big difference. That would be different. Yes. Yes. You you, you mean like the early days where it was instead of. You could get 640 by 350 or 640 by 400. Yeah, the interlay circuit. Yeah, that type of thing. Except in hardware, where you don't have to like jury rig two, two different things. frames. Interlace graphics type thing with a flicker. Lehman One did that. That's how they did their interlace video too. You get 30 hertz basically. Oh yeah, I always did that to get the most uh, text real estate. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you want on web browser. I mean, right. you don't want a screen that's. I mean, we have wide screens now, but the resolution vertically is still pretty good proportionally. It's like 16 to 9, whereas on the Coke was like, you know, 16 to 4 or something. So <clears throat> has anybody thought about redoing the um, the chip, the green chip, you know, to to do gimme chip. even better things, you know? Or, are you talking about the gimme chip? We, yeah, no, the um, BDG. BDG. That's what the Coco VGA basically is. Yeah, but what I was thinking is uh, 640 by 480 type of screen. Uh, That's that's out of reach. That would be Uh, almost, because you only get 64K standard at Coco, that's pretty well, you have a screen and you don't have any room for code. And you're out of time. Remember, the Coco 3 is twice as fast and it's still twice as slow if you're Okay. Six Remember that a lot of the <laughs> stuff that Ron is doing is a static image display. So, so he doesn't care. But yeah, yeah the, 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 if the screen is all you get, that's all he needs. For you know, that's another thing. Well, that, that you need a ROM cartridge because you have no RAM to load a program to display the screen. Oh right, you can't even. Yeah. Put the what I don't understand is um, they say the Coco's uh, resolution is um, three twenty by one ninety six, right? Um, but mm. No, nope. the Coco three can do that. Coco one and two is yeah. Coco three, yeah. Coco three is oh, three twenty yeah. by one ninety one ninety two, two hundred or two twenty five, depending. Right, <clears throat> but uh, the um, the high res images I do are three twenty by two hundred. How is it that it can display the extra? The the gimme has three different vertical modes. It has one ninety two, two hundred, which is really one ninety nine. Do a bug in the gimme. 
and 225, which is something Nick has used. So it's actually even a higher res than high color does. Oh, really? And Ron, but it's 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 only a little bit longer. Like that's why if we did an interlaced, or if we had a gimme X that could do double the vertical, like to four hundred or four fifty, then you're looking at like just about a, a VGA display at that point. Yeah, but Ron just heard a whole new vista open up in front of him. <laughs> for <laughs> more lines on the screen means bigger image, or you could have a little bar at the bottom that has like the image title and date and you know. Right. So I'm trying to remember, does, does Roger Taylor's Projector 3 have that already? I can't remember what Great Reds he's using on that. Well, I know Coco mm-hmm. Max had it so that you could scroll a screen, you know, if it was bigger than what you have. You know, you yeah, I don't think it actually and... enabled the 225 mode, but a lot of games mm-hmm. do, like Gunstars. Uh, I can't remember what the horizontal res is, but he's using the longest vertical res. Okay. Popstar Pilot used the uh, maximum res. 320 by 225? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, on on Nick's site is the basic two twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, he's patch basics. You can actually see that just on your own programs. You can even enable it. Yeah, yeah. I use that quite a bit. It's a lot of real screen screening real estate. The uh, hardware tech screen on Nitrous Nine has the option of doing eighty by twenty eight, for example. Yeah, twenty eight. That's it. And I think we use the 200 instead of the 192 for the graphics screen. So we get an extra line of text. We get 25 lines of text instead of 24. Mm-hmm. The only reason we didn't go beyond that is because it takes an extra, you have to map in another 8K of graphics page because now you're past 32K and you still got to have room for like get put buffers and the graphics driver software itself and the system block and blah, 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 blah. Ron's you can do it. It's more complicated. Now, so let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm not a programmer, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> if somebody comes up with something, I'll use it to death like I have. Let's make content for this, and we'll do it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I understand why Sock stopped at the 320 by 200, though, because on, on standard PC formats, which is basically what he's reading, like BMPs, right. they don't have a 225 mode. They'd be jumping straight to 400, and then you're... You know, you basically you have to scroll the screen if you want to do that. Or if the Gimme X was modified to actually handle. The Gimme X would be your best bet, yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I've kept pushing it. I would love the 160 by 450 mode because I can get the new 256 color mode that the Gimme X has and still fit it in a 32K chunk on the in the graphics driver so I wouldn't have to do any weird flipping between maps just to finish drawing one picture type thing. I could actually just do it with a regular driver. And then you can get 256 colors at 160 by 225 res or whatever. That would be awesome. How many colors does the Gimme X do? Is it 24 bit or? Uh, I think Maybe it's nine bit, isn't it? It's five, 12 oh, color palette, 256 five. colors at once. Right. I think. Am I right on that? I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head either. We need Something like that. Zipster here. Anyway, Ron would be very happy with the uh, the Gimme X graphics for his photos. Anyway, yep, yep, yep. It's the same color resolution as as the uh, Coco VGA does, except you've got a lot more resolution to play with, and yeah. two fifty six colors simultaneous real color mode. Whereas the Coco VGA does sixteen colors out of a palette, depending which version of the Coco VGA you have. I think one was five hundred twelve colors, and the later ones are thirty two thousand seven hundred sixty eight. It's fifteen bit color, I think, is their palette. So you can actually get really subtle shades, but you can only do 16 at once. 
on the same screen. And much more res. Right. Maximum of yes, yeah, one twenty eight by ninety six by sixteen or something. I basically have to fit in sixteen or six K to to match the original VDG mappings. Yeah, yeah. No. I think that's it for the show. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's about yeah. time to stick a fork in it. Somebody yep. wait for Mark B. Canadian retro things couldn't even wait that long. He just left, not even letting us quit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Time for a nap. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a capital plan. I've already caught up on my nap. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the show's thought? over. Now you can wake up. You Frankly, slept yesterday. The thermometer shows 103, so. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Yep. See you all next week. As always. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Get out of here. Bye-bye.